Star Wars Monthly Monday 13. I paid my four bits to see the high diving act, and I'm going to see the high diving act. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Sheep flying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. On cue as we- always. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and we are two true freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Monday number 13. And I don't know where this rumor got started about the number 13 being so unlucky because you, dear listener, are certainly lucky you tuned in for this episode because it's going to be a good one. We are thrilled to have with us tonight a very special guest freak. Um, Actually, are you okay with being called a guest freak? I should have asked you first, George. <laughs> well, I've been called a freak all my life, so why oh, should okay. we now? <laughs> right. Ah, sweet. All right. We are thrilled to have with us tonight a very special guest freak indeed. Writer of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, first season episodes number six, Downfall of a Droid, which Chris and I talked about in episode 43 back in April, and number 19, Storm Over Ryloth, Plus, the just-aired second episode of Season 2, Cargo of Doom. Please welcome to this show, Mr. George. I don't know how to pronounce your last name, George. Is it Kirstic or Christic? You got it. You got it. Hey, guys. <laughs> how's it going? Uh, I like Star Wars a lot, but uh, I also like Star Trek. Is that okay? That is excellent. Eva, I, 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 you know, I wonder who would cringe more, the Star Trek fans or the Star Wars fans when we cross the streams. I've well, we're going to get that. into it. We're going to get into it this time, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> it's good to have a guest that'll do this because it sort of validates us, you know. It, it, yeah, it sort of, there you it, go. It, 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 yeah, exactly. It does. Yeah, well, it's, you guys aren't the only ones. There's a lot of crossover they just keep it in the closet so you know i'm going to ask your listeners to come out of the closet put your kirk figure next to your you know luke figure it's going to be okay <laughs> should put them with their with their arms around each other well 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 hold on don't put the kirk figure too close no no, no to the i mean you know like like, like on their show like like the like the buddy pose you know not 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 romantically around each other <laughs> well i'm yeah, sure that be... enough of that fan fiction Thank i was you. just gonna say <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm wrecking your show already. I'm so sorry. No, no, not at all. We are so happy that you're here. We're, we're totally nerdy about you being here tonight. Um, now, we met at DragonCon, 
um, during the Clone Wars panel that that Chris and I were uh, were panelists on, and uh, I just want to direct our listeners to go to YouTube and you can see two at, at least two videos that are up there right now. Uh, one that's uh, what is that girl's name, Chris? That that did is, is like Geek Girl or something like that. Oh, Chaos you know, she's Lydia. Got, that's it. She's got the the short clip that's a much higher resolution, much much better picture. That is uh, of George uh, speaking at that panel, and then Chris has posted the full length video um, that you know has the entire panel, which is uh, low, plus George's low appearance. Quality. Yeah, lower, low, but lower really resolution, just, but you get the you get the whole panel. Yeah, it's not very exciting visually, really. Yeah, just a bunch of dudes talking about Star Wars. You can see that in any basement across America. <laughs> exactly, it was oh. actually in the, it was actually in the basement of that hotel too. It was like in the subway <laughs> or in the far corner. But still, a lot of people. Sh- I I thought it was a bad omen when we sort of walked in there, and I was like, we're just walking further and further further down and in and under and and it's this little little sweaty room i think it was called i think they had like mustafar signs up too so that's right it was like the mustafar room right so it was just like volcanically hot and and, uh (laughs) it was weird there seemed to be nobody in charge really most of the time you know the the second um panel that we did there we basically walked in had to sort of fiddle around and solve a few sound issues and just started mm-hmm. and did, did the panel with sort of nobody there telling us what to do or moderating. Well, or that's, that's the beauty fun. of Dragon Con. It's kind of like run by fans for fans. So, yeah. you know, well, the it's, audience, it's cool that way. The audience worked really hard to keep it, go, keep it going. So it was, it was great in that, that respect because it makes for a very easy panel. When the audience does nope. a good part of the job, <laughs> yeah, that moderator for the for the Clone Wars one that we did in the afternoon, uh, he he ran a tight ship, man. Yeah. He didn't screw he around. Was he was yeah. he was on a schedule, and and he didn't you know he he didn't let things wander or let anybody go too long or anything like that. Unlike if we were in charge, <laughs> yeah. Unlike our show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got Star Wars news, Scott George. <gasps> I got my Go eBay. I got my eBay package that I was talking about in the last Star Wars Monthly Monday, which seems so near in the past. Is I got my <laughs> all seven Star Wars photo novels. They're not nice. called photo novels, though, but that's what I remember. And photo novels are much maligned for you know as not reading or they're not comic books. You know, they're sort of a lazy comic book, and they are really, but. When I was a kid, they I just loved them, you know. I couldn't oh, get me enough. Too. I, I remember the first photo novels I saw were all Star Trek episodes. So, you know, original oh, Star yeah. Trek. Oh, yeah, were they like the old gold key yeah. comics? No, no, these were actual photo novels of, I think there was Where No Man Had Gone Before, Trouble with Tribbles. City and, on I, the Edge of Forever. City on the Edge of Forever. So they were just they were just pictures with word balloons over them and, and really Great. bad sort of bland text describing what's going going on. But that's, you know, that's great because, you know, some of the listeners may not know this, but at, at that time we didn't have, you know, any access to those episodes once they aired. Right. And right. also there was no mobile entertainment. So 
the closest you could get to your favorite property is to take something like that on the family trip, you know, yep. and read it over and over and over. Yep, and you could supply the, the music and sound effects and, and all that. On top oh, yeah, of the it. laser sounds. And, and if I was a kid, boy, Star Wars photo novel would have been just, you know, catnip. So this, <laughs> so this is great. So this is actually something not from – this is something that came out in the last few years, you know, just recently. But it still just brings me right back to my childhood as if it was something I had when I was a kid. So they're pretty neat. It's uh, all six movies and the first – the very the first season of the very first Clone Wars, the uh, cell animated. Oh, the Gendy stuff, yeah, yeah. right on. And uh, which sort of ends at a cliffhanger, so there isn't another one, but it's still it's it's really neat. It, it reminds me of, uh, and Scott just sent me a copy of this. It was uh, Marvel Comics Super Special, I think, of uh, Rock and Rule, which was oh, uh, Nirvana Studios. My name is Mock. Thanks a lot. Yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> songs in the world. <laughs> what? That, you know what? You don't make those kind of films anymore. No. Well, I think because it would be a colossal failure, but, I mean, it was such an awesome film. It, it, it wasn't really a big success as it was, you know. It was a Canadian production. It's really funny. I went to visit a friend of mine once in uh, Toronto, and she and her boyfriend mm. lived in the back of a big, uh, it was an old toy warehouse. And so they had, you know, a, a warehouse space that they converted into their home. And when you look, when I was looking, when it turned to night, and I was looking out the window, I could see another, you know, warehouse building across the way, and it said Nelvana Studios on it. Wow, there it is. Because that's I, where they made it. Yeah, and I was, I was a big fan of them because they're the ones who did the uh, Boba Fett cartoon in the Christmas special. That's right. right. That's right. The yeah. only really watchable thing of that whole. <laughs> The much maligned oh, Christmas special, ex- except for Mala running around naked and I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> what about Lumpy? Come on, everyone loves Lumpy. Lumpy was, a, yeah. Well, <laughs> I still think Gary Coleman was in that outfit. I still to this day think that that was who was in the Lumpy outfit was Lumpy Gary was Coleman because like he looks like him. He was a prototype Ewok, really, basically. Mm-hmm. He was. He was. Yeah. That, that was really. Yeah, I'm sure the, they saw that and said, "Let's do more of that." That was the first, like, <laughs> Lucas first dipping his toes into the, like, cloying cuteness hitting Star Wars was was lumpy. I remember even as a kid, I was like, my saccharine meter was like, wow. <laughs> this is incredibly bizarre. I just loved lumpy because he reminded, he reminded me of Shaka, and I was really yes. into, like, Bigfoot and Shaka and all that stuff. I was like, that's cool. I used to I used to love Land of the Lost. I used to have to get up early on Saturday mornings and sort of half tune in this Canadian station on our black and white TV to watch it. And it, <laughs> it was one of those things, if I didn't see a lunchbox of it years later before it was sort of revived, I would have thought it was one of those things I just made up when I was a little kid. Yeah. There's been a few of there's been a few things like that. There's still one that I'm I'm trying to track down, but if if anybody knows of it, it was like an after school special, and it was like a geology lesson. And all I can remember is there's this kid, and he starts talking to a rock, and the rock <laughs> gets on his bike, and they ride through the layers of the earth, 
and it's very kind of disturbing and and frightening. That's all I remember. It had some sort of song about a rock bottom road. And if anybody knows like a, what it is, oh my god, I think I saw that not long ago. Well, I need to I see that to field trip with the kids to a rock quarry here in Carrollton, and I think they made us watch that thing. That <laughs> oh, that sounds very familiar. Actually, it was I deeply disturbing. I, I need to see it. It was this. It was. It was sort of. Um, are you guys familiar with? I can't remember. I can't. Don't know if it's pronounced Bakshi or Bashki. But he oh, would, Bakshi, yeah, yeah Ralph Bakshi. Bakshi. He, he would, do, you know, the sound of of his animations. He would do very uh, sort of. It sounded like a live recording, a, a ad libbed, very natural oh, yeah. speech. And that's what this yeah. was recorded in. It, w- it had that very, uh, you know, sort of r- recorded on location. You know, like they had the kid out in the street, probably with a with a mic in his face, to to record all the the dialogue. Awesome. And that's all I remember. I, I had to have been like maybe two years old when I saw it. But Star Wars. <laughs> oh, my God. I was God. just going to say. I'm hearing away from Star Wars, that? Star Trek. <laughs> wow. Dude, we got it all. We took care of everything. We are all over the board. Well, getting back to Star Wars, I just want to say uh, congratulations on a great start to season two, George. Yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the two-part opener. Uh, oh, it, it, it blew me away. And I, I think right off the bat, you know, it's, I, I mean, I'm digging it right from the beginning. I, I loved all of the first season and everything, but um, I, I think this one just felt like a, like a, a step up that much higher. Like the, the threat level seems like it's really ramped up right from the get-go with this new season. I'm just really excited with where it's going. Right on, right on. Well, thanks guys. And you know, a, a lot of the credit goes to, you know, uh, Scott Murphy and Henry Gilroy and Dave Filoni. Those guys have been, you know, kind of shepherding all the stories and stuff. So, you know, it's it's team effort. So thank you. I what I was really excited about is I was happy to see the Kyber crystal show up. Ah, uh, yeah, the old splinter of the mind's eye. Yeah. Huh? Now that's I was going to ask you about that. So we're talking the same crystal here. Uh, I you know what? I always say the wrong thing, so I'll, I'm sure it'll be correct. <laughs> it's like we'll get it on record. Know, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, you know, things are still being figured out, obviously, and, you know, when it comes to G-Canon and, you know, other kind of canon, it's still a little fluid out there. So, yeah, right. uh, the, the, you know, the people who can really, you know, kind of come down on where where this exists within the canon would be like Filoni or, you know, or those guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, that was just some, you know, it's a little shout out to to the, the continuity of, of, you know, the expanded universe that we, you know... There's there's been a lot of talk about you know expanded universe versus canon and stuff and it's like everybody that works on the show is very aware of the EU and we're not kind of kicking it to the curb we're actually using it to to help the show out so that was that was a, an aspect of that. I love that kind of thing I, I really really do um, you know one of the the novels I'm working <clears throat> excuse me working my way through right now. Um, just incorporated one of my my favorite characters from the expanded universe from the Marvel comics, uh, which is Fen Shisa. So I, I love mm. seeing and reading you know stuff like that incorporated and, and bringing that in and uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, man. I mean that was just such a big deal for both Chris and I when when we were kids when that came out. You know we've talked about that in, in prior episodes. Just when that book came out, what it meant to us. 
because it was like, you know, it was like food to a starving man, you know, because that, that three-year period between movies, you know, there back in not. the day. Yeah. Yeah. There was nothing happening. It just, it was, it's just held so high in my memory. So just having that, you know, there's so many geek moments already for, for us Star Wars fans in this series, but that was just one of those total over the top. Oh my God. They mentioned the Kyber crystal. I just, you get to actually see it or at oh, least yeah. a piece of it. And I was thinking it's much smaller than I thought. I thought it was bigger than that. Well, just... well, you know, another thing I like is all the little asides to other things in science fiction. You know, like in episode three, you know, there was the brief scene, you know, the, the little tribute to 2001. And then uh, I think it's one of your episodes, isn't it, George, where there's the guy that has the, the eyepiece thing that's sort of a callback to uh, oh. the aliens in Last Starfighter. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, that was... uh, and, and yeah, I that gotta... was a big... The, the 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 main baddies, I think he had it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's right. And then you know, with this, with the Kyber crystal, you know, not only is that a shout out to to Splinter, but I I got a serious like Dark Crystal vibe, you know, with it being like a like a splinter of of the larger, you know, what I'm assuming is like a splinter of the larger piece, because I always figured the Kyber crystal, you know, the f- full one in in the novel was more. Well, you know, like fist sized or something like that. It well, was more of a like a like a big rock. I've always thought that if there was going to be a cross the streams porno, it would be Yoda and Hala from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> they might even both be. I think they're both Frank Oz for that matter. You know, I, I oh I'm that's sure. that's right. There you go. So it would there you be, go. yeah. So it would be like the most bizarre three way ever. While at the same time being a masturbation video, it would oh be one of God. the most you've always, things you've always ever. gotta just. I just, just hey, guess what? I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've George, actually, Scott and I have been discussing this. When we talk to people, can we say, yeah, we were just talking to George from Lucasfilm last night, you know, about some story stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Make me, I'm gonna have some. I'm going to have some dark troopers busting down my door. Oh, no. <laughs> some phase two armor dark troopers. Hey, speaking of which, have you seen the trailer for the uh, for death troopers? I have. I have. There's There was one that was actually really good. You know, I, I saw that trailer and I was like, I would watch the hell out of this. Like, you know, put a bunch of zombie stormtroopers on a on a Star Destroyer and, you know, have someone dock and just start killing zombies. Like, hells yeah. I thought it was I have really, not really even cool. heard of this. There's oh, you haven't zombie, heard of this? There's a zombie stormtrooper movie? You've got to go to our forum. I posted I guess there's actually more than I, one video because there's like a, a video contest or something like oh. that. Oh. But I, I posted up the one that I saw and it was great. And it was just, it, it's different shots of this star destroyer just like drifting through space and in another uh, apparently it's another ship or another uh, star destroyer is it keeps calling it and yeah, nobody that's the, that's the best one. yeah yeah and it was great and at the end of it they're like okay we're not getting a response you know prepare to be boarded or something like that and you see a stormtrooper standing with his back to you the audience you know kind of standing half in the dark 
and he turns around to face the screen and his helmet's like all busted open right in like the mouth area and there's all blood all down the front of his armor. Uh, and I guess the premise is that these are like, it's like a ship full of like zombie stormtroopers <laughs> or something. I don't know what the, I, I guess this is a book that's coming out or something. I, yeah, I really don't know much about it. Yeah, it's it's a book that's coming out and it caused a lot of uh, uh, maybe consternation, you know, with a, a lot of fans that I am in touch with and, you know, some of the people in the industry because they're like, oh, man, everyone's doing zombies, yeah. even Star Wars. But, you know, I have to say that, again, it's, it's really intriguing. It's the whole, you know, uh, chocolate and peanut butter. It's like, I love both. Why not put them both together? So exactly. I'm willing to give it a chance. I'm willing to give it a chance. Exactly. I, I, and well, I, I have a know. soft spot for zombie movies, but like, I've also, I've it's it's like women. I've been I have a soft spot, but at the same time, I've been burned many times. <laughs> so it's like, so yeah. You know, my friend sent me a link to uh, uh, Zombieland when just before Zombieland came out to the trailer for it, and I watched it, and I was like, well. I don't know if I want to watch another, you know, catchphrase-filled zombie comedy, but I hear actually it's really good. That's so, what they're saying, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's all it's all the we'll, we'll butter up our guests again. It's all the writing, you know. A lot of a lot well, of that's it is, what I was going to say too. Yeah, there, I mean, there's just a lot of horror, and and it happens with a lot of horror style movies is where I think the the people who make the movie are sort of more focused on doing stuff that like they want that would be really cool like you know we'll get really into the gore of this whereas a zombie movie needs that subtext you know of something going on to to add a little meat to it and a lot of times it's just people like it would be really cool if the guy you know shot half his head off and you know then made this quip and then he cocks a (laughs) shotgun and and there's this chick and she's really tough but she's hot and she's, you know, wearing a. Wearing I think you should be a, a Hollywood executive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because God. I've had those meetings where where everything you just said is, you know, said to me right. by an executive. Well, listen, Scott and I've got a few. We got this. We got this whole story arc con- concerning these two Jedi's, and you know, one of them's named Scott Gardner, and one of them's named Chris Honeywell, and they have the, all these cool adventures, and the best one, like. They accidentally castrate Jar Jar. We got it all written out. Now that well, we got, you know, now I that recommend we got our you foot guys, in the door. Yeah, I recommend you guys, uh, you, uh, you know, give Dave Filoni a call and set up a picture. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> we, we've made some sketches and everything, and oh, awesome! They're on, love that. like loose leaf oh paper in crayon, but I'm uh, gonna know. scare him off. <laughs> When I was in uh, film school, my friend Kevin and I just started meeting like some Hollywood people and stuff like that. And instant, like within a week of that, we were like, "Well, I never want to do that ever again in my life." <laughs> I feel like that every day. <laughs> I, I sat in film class, and everybody's like, the, "Our teacher was asking us, what are you going to do?" And I'm going to go work for Disney. I'm going to apply to Lucasfilm. And I said, "I'm going to wait till I can get a computer." And my video camera and film on my camera and dump it Smart. on my computer and edit it at my house. And everybody, including the teacher, laughed at me. But who's laughing now? 
There you go. <laughs> Where did you go to film school? At uh, here in Rochester, at Rochester Institute of Technology. Oh yeah, I heard they have a really good school there. It 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 was about it is, and it happened about oh five years after I left there. It was it was a good school when I went there. Don't get me wrong, but like five years later, they took a really big step up in. Uh, I I think for like three years running, they had a bunch of stu- you know graduates who did really well and. And they had a new head of the of uh, the film department, and you know they were up and running with NYU and you know uh, UCLA and stuff. I still every year I still go watch all the student films, which is awesome and exhausting at the same time. It usually runs <laughs> yeah. it's it's two like twelve hour days of Yikes. screenings. Yeah, you yeah. know. Well, it's funny you mentioned. Film school. I, I went to the School of Visual Arts, which, which was in New York, and I think is one of your competitors. But uh-huh. like the the year after I left, you know, going back to your point about you know getting a computer and a video camera, the year after I left, they switched to digital. Oh. So they taught us all this archaic technology right. that hasn't been used twenty years. You know, and these like backwards ways of cutting and filmmaking. And I was oh, like, yeah. awesome, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, stuff stuff that I can do on iMovies. You know, I would sit exactly. in the studio all day with each hand on a dial and, you know, each eye peeled on a different monitor, twisting and turning. Or We had one digital, ed- quote-unquote, digital edit deck where you had to just go in and program all your cuts and everything in sort of, you know, not on a timeline or anything, just sort of you would be timing it out and just going, okay, right about here, and then you'd... And then it would go and compile it all, and you'd come back the next day, and it would play it back, and it would be all wrong. You'd do it over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just remember. I think it was, I think it was Francis Ford Coppola who, who was saying, and this was a long time ago. He's saying that like the new filmmakers and the new hits are going to come from, you know, a guy and his computer. Yeah. And I remember reading that, going, I don't think so. But now I, I, I kind of have to agree with him. I mean, he was really looking forward. No, nobody's made the like internet the guy with their camcorder internet film yet you know the the one that that will be held as a valid piece of cinema you know that you'll read about in a it's book coming saying, though somebody yeah, yeah somebody will coming. do it it's only a matter of time you know there's so and i mean you know scott and i are from this little backwater town and uh when I did a search on YouTube for that town, I figured I'd just see like people's home movies. But there's all these kids who are just in high school who are editing pretty, you know, they're they're high school kid movies. But you know, they're they're learning all the basics of of the visual dictionary, I guess, you know, of the language of yeah. of filmmaking. And you know, they're yeah, high, they're high school kids making zombie movies and stuff. And that's just in our little piss water town. And I think that's, you know, that's what's so great is filmmaking is kind of coming back to the people. It's not, it's not, you know, held by these huge production companies. And I think that's, that's really exciting. And it kind of goes back to Star Wars in that, you know, Lucas was always fighting against the studio system and he wanted to do things his way. And, you know, if he did Star Wars the way they wanted it, it would have been a failure. Well, yeah. And and, and I'm telling you, he gets a lot of shit, but at the same time. Because he made Star Wars a lot like that, I mean, that definitely influenced my view on filmmaking. 
I mean, that right. that put me in film school, basically. And, you know, I read everything that I could find about George Lucas, about Star Wars, about anything. So, you know, that, that idea of, of Hollywood sort of being the enemy, you know, to, that you have to defend <laughs> your movie against, I sort of got from, you know, I picked that up from, you know, hearing about how Star Wars was made and he was, you know, very, you know, very much ahead of his time. And, and the, with I, the I think that's what you were trying to that. get to in that Star Wars panel, the, the point that you were trying to make in that. And I know that you're you, you, you watched that video back and you're a little bit embarrassed about it because, you know, it, it went a little long and you, you were kind of roundabout. But I, I definitely saw the point that you were trying to, to get to and, and everything. And I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, if, if anybody can be credited with that movement and, you know, with, with really blazing that trail, I think it's him. Right. And well, since- yeah, well, I, yeah, I think Lucas inspired a whole generation of filmmakers and you're kind of seeing, you know, that inspiration in, in some of the movies out there now, like JJ Abrams was inspired by Lucas and, right. you know, he resurrected, you know, another of our, our franchises that we, we like to, you know, talk about <laughs> Star Trek. Right. Um, but also you see, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the people who went into film school when we did, you know, they're kind of doing their own thing now. And uh, it's, it's a different take on things, which I think is great. Well, that's one of the reasons that, you know, not, not to bring up a sore subject, but when, when people, you know, when fans, you know, when, when, when people that call themselves Star Wars fans in particular start pissing and moaning about George Lucas, you know, oh, he's lost it. I've, I don't know how many, you know, F uh, George Lucas T-shirts I've seen and stuff like that. That stuff, really? They made yeah, those? it really starts to piss me off because, we, you know, I actually, I, I, I got a picture of a guy with a stormtrooper yeah. hat wearing one flipping us off at <laughs> Dragon yeah. Con. Wow. And, you know, I understand that, that, that people have their complaints with the prequel trilogy and people have their issues and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, to me, it's, you know, we got more Star Wars. What's what's wrong with that? You know, what's what's yeah. bad with that? You know, I think that people sometimes they get so hung up. Well, how can on you, the little things? How can you just conform to everybody's vision of what Star Wars is? I just you can't. That's you can't. Yeah, that's, that's when I saw okay. Episode One. That's what blew my mind about it. Was I was like, this is completely not what I was expecting at all. And instead of sort of you know, acting in disgust, I was just sort of like, okay, I'm going to see where this is going to take me because I have no idea you right. know, where this is coming from, you know, and, and for, and that's, and that's a lot, you know, as you guys know, that's a lot of the reaction we got for the clone wars. Um, but you know, hopefully we've been winning over people and, and it's, it's, it's in the same world. It's in the same characters. We're just telling stories that you may not be used to, you know, seeing yet. And, is it for a different audience? Absolutely. Does it, you know, also respect the, the older audience, you know, the first generation Star Wars fans? Absolutely. But like you said earlier, you can't make everyone happy. You have to try to tell the best story that you possibly can. And, you know, some people will hate you for it. Right. And some people, you know, and you'll have some people who will who will stop watching your, your work. But, you know, unfortunately, again, you you have to be true to the characters and true to true to the world and not specifically some angry you know thirty five year old fan me being one of those you know you can't make everyone happy so you can't write for those people right well I'll tell you though as one of those people you know I'm I'm forty one and as one of those people 
I mean, I feel like you are writing right to me because I'll tell you, I, I watch the show with my kids. You know, my, my boys are 13 and nine. And a lot of times I'm a bigger kid watching the show than they are because, you know, don't get me wrong. They love the show, but I feel like I am right back in front of the set watching like the, the star Wars Christmas special. Now I know a lot of people groan about that special, but you got to remember when I watched that thing at what were we like 10 years old, I mean, I was glued to the television set. I feel the same way when I watch Clone Wars. I'm digging the show, man. It it takes me right back to my childhood. And these folks that, that are having all their complaints and all their fusses and everything about it, I mean, I've got nitpicks, but overall, I mean, it's Star Wars on TV, you know? How, how freaking <laughs> awesome is that? I mean, it does life get better than Star Wars regularly on TV? I mean, that's just, I, I don't get what overall what what the complaint is i really don't i, I mean i'm totally into it yeah well yeah thanks for that man yeah no we you know we do we do obviously you know throw callbacks to what came before us and also you know as i mentioned the eu and stuff so we we're very aware of what existed before and after and around us um so it's great i mean the thing that really makes me happy and uh, i think we might have talked about this at the panel it's always really cool for you know myself and you know the whole team when you hear that you know generations sit down together and watch the show you know like fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and mothers and you know it's like you have you know grandmothers even sitting down and going what's that star wars thing so that that really makes us happy that we are reaching a a wide audience well you know it has i think i think as far as grandparents go it has that sort of I don't want to use the word jaunty, but it does. It has that sort of World War Two, you know. Oh yeah. Sort of, you know, the World War Two movies of that time of you. Oh, know, the announcer, yeah. Are, yeah, our boys overseas, and yeah, well, that's intentional. That's absolutely yeah, yeah. intentional. And, well, Chris, I mean, you you remember my grandpa Gardner? I don't right. remember him. I, I can remember sitting around the set, you know, at my grandparents' house, like when Star Trek come on, and my grandfather would be, I ain't goddamn Star Trek yeah. on again, you know. <laughs> but he would he would watch at least the first Star Wars with us when we would like play it on Western. VHS. Well, it, it was close to a western, but also I think he could uh, he could um, associate. With the World War II dogfight style uh, sequence yeah, yeah, at the yeah. end of the original Star Wars, when they had, when they flied into the trench, he would. I can remember him being glued to the set watching that, and I always used to think, "Man, Grandpa doesn't like these kind of movies. Why does he like this one?" And I think you know, you hit on it with the World War II aspect. He was a World War II veteran. I think it was taking him back in a in a weird kind of sense to those World War II movies yeah. that he liked so much. It was you know because so much of that of that sequence of that movie is lifted out of actual dogfight, you know, uh, right. film, you know, footage. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there was that the discovery channel documentary that had the, you know, they were playing the footage side by side, you know, of, right. Yeah. Of diving planes and diving tie fighters at the same time that were just completely, you know, he just totally gotten the whole visual feel for that. And that's what made it feel more visceral and real than, anything science fiction before that you know as as far as that goes as far as spaceships especially as far as everything it was probably the most lived in world you know that had been presented at that time absolutely hey before i forget i wanted to go way way back to something that that george brought up 
um, going back to the uh, the Death Trooper things, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, the, that some fans are, are kind of worked up, I guess, over the whole idea of, uh, idea of zombie stormtroopers and all that. And I, I can see that because when I was watching the thing, as excited as I got over it, you know, knowing the fan community like like I think I do, I, at the same rate, I could almost hear having your finger the audible on the pulse of the fan community. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd go that <laughs> far, but you know what I mean. I, I can kind of predict reactions sometimes, and one of the reactions, although it was not mine, I, I could kind of think to myself, I wonder how many people are going to be bitching and complaining about this because it's zombie stormtroopers. Now, I think the idea is awesome, but I can see a lot of people going, "Wow, that's not my Star Wars," but. You know, like you said, Chris, it comes down to the writing and what I, I, I'm excited about this because, you know what I saw not long ago? And, and George, maybe you saw this. You said you're a Star Trek fan as well. There was yeah. an episode of Enterprise that I just saw for the first time a couple of weeks ago where that crew comes across a, uh, a Vulcan ship that's stuck in this debris field in the, in the, the debris field. or It's actually like an asteroid field or something. And the asteroids are made of this special kind of metal that has basically turned all of the Vulcans on this ship into zombies. No, so it was like a, awesome. Oh, it was great. I mean, that show takes a lot of knocks, and you know, rightly so. But this particular episode of Enterprise was awesome. I mean, it was basically the captain and a couple of crew members trapped on a ship full of, zo- of Vulcan zombies, and it ruled, man. It was excellent. So and you know they had a very logical, of course. you know if you'll excuse the pun, um, explanation for why these guys were the way they. It wasn't like they had been bitten and turned into the undead. It was a very scientific explanation, but it totally worked in that world, and it, it, you bought it. It was believable and it was really awesome. So I mean, if they do the same type of thing with Star Wars, if they use some, sort of like a Resident Evil t- style explanation or like a 28 days later style explanation i think it could work and i think it could be fantastic i'm really looking forward to it yeah well i think i think the book is coming out soon if it hasn't come out already i think it was supposed to come out for halloween oh no yeah that, that's a, <laughs> yep exactly i'm just waiting for the new george romero movie should be out fairly soon yes. that's right i heard something about that survival of the dead it looks like his western Dead movie. Interesting. <laughs> well, I just hope they make a zombie stormtrooper figure. That's all I want. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of action figures, I was reading somewhere where they they were doing or have already done some action figures based on some of your characters from your episodes, and oh, that you were ab- all excited about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, I had to nerd out about that. But I mean, for any Star Wars fan, can you imagine? how your brain would explode if you helped create a character and then you could go to Walmart and buy it. I mean, that was just like, yeah, I lost my mind. But, um, I, in my episode, in my first episode, we had, uh, we introduced Ganach and we introduced, um, Goldie, the little betrayer droid. So yeah. they made the end. And also we had some IG 86s in there. So all these figures from this one particular episode came out recently. So I, I lost my mind and bought, crates and crates of them and you know called up my mom and bought her some and yeah just just really really bad news thank you so much for the igs by the way because uh i I went back and listened to uh, so far of of your episodes the only one that we've uh reviewed on the show so far was downfall of a droid but that was the biggest uh 
note really in that you know in that review chris and i were were totally on board with seeing them in action you know because yeah. you know, we see you know ig88 briefly in empire and my yeah. my thought always was that you know that guy looks like a stiff wind would knock him over yeah, exactly well that was that was our point you know discussing it we we felt that like in empire like you said that guy couldn't cross the galaxy to, to hunt a, you know, a bounty. He, he couldn't cross the room. He was, you know, he was like a, a coat rack. So, and right. that kind of, <laughs> and it made Vader look kind of like, you're like, really? You're going to hire that guy? Yeah, so exactly. we wanted to show, yeah, we wanted to show that these guys, you know, these, these droids were badass. And there's a reason Vader hired IG-88, you know, because he, he had experience with these guys and they almost kicked his ass. So he, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, to- I was totally into that. Um, yeah, I like I like seeing those guys in in action for a change in the way they moved and everything. And uh, well, you know what's funny yeah. is I just watched the Clone Wars movie again, recent just a couple days ago, and I noticed yeah. the character. Maybe it was just the same guy, or a guy from the same race, but the character who was uh, sort of the the. I, I don't know if he was a junk merchant or you know, the, the mm-hmm. guy, the, he he was just briefly in a bar scene. Yeah, in Clone Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of, yeah. just sort of standing, drinking a drinking a beer or whatever they the, do, the, space beer. The yeah. guy who was one of Bosk's people is that the guy you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. But he was, yeah, it was yeah, a shorter uh, version. Yeah, it was uh, the Trandoshan trader. Yes, Trandoshan. Right? Thank yeah. you. I could not think of that race to save my life. Um, <laughs> you're not Chris, a true freak. Oh, oh, you cut me to the quick. <laughs> well, like we like we said when when we met you in the in the Clone Wars panel, we we, you know, we tried desperately to to be up on everything but we're also not quite the minutiae guys you well, know I've what I got, mean? I've, as as i get older i i have a, a harder and harder time retaining a lot of the the well, really small bits I, i'm no, plugged no, up no. with like original series original trilogy trivia and i'm, just, I'm having yeah. trouble grasping the the prequel I stuff feel your pain. i feel your pain because you know they expect if you write for clone wars you know everything so people come up to me and they they ask me these super super obscure questions and I, and I have to say like yeah I don't know what's on the moon of Rishi you know I'm uh, sorry and they and they they pull this face like I just stabbed their kitten or something but yeah there's so much there's so much there now do you get now you do you get like the envious look like why are you writing for Clone Wars and I'm not if you don't know do you get that kind of thing or <laughs> no, is it... no 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 they oh, just okay. kind of expect you to be the you know the all... The sum of like the Jedi archives. You're supposed to know everything, yes. and it's like, yeah, there's there's a couple guys at Lucasfilm who probably know everything, you know, like Pablo Hidalgo. But you know, for me, again, there's there's uh, I had to you know blow out some hard drive space for for the Star Trek trivia, you know. Uh, I, and I've got like music <laughs> trivia in there too, and comic books, man. Comic yeah, books. comic books. Come on, Marvel, DC. Hey, we're about hitting the 40-minute mark, so I think we'll be right back after this break. I can't understand how we got by those troops. I thought we were dead. Morse. You have a strong influence on the weak mind. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. You don't need to see his identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. 
he can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move her up. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I can't understand how we got by those troops. I thought we were dead. Force can have a strong influence on the weak minded. Hey, we're back through the magic of <laughs> podcasting and the internets. We're here, and with... we're going to talk about Star Trek, right? Yeah. <laughs> We've... There are heads exploding everywhere know, right now. Okay, actually, no. The show is no longer about Star Wars or Star Trek. It's about Galactus. <laughs> Nothing but silence. Awesome. <laughs> See, that's why I haven't watched the second uh, Fantastic Four movie. Is I just don't want to see Galactus as some weird. I don't even. I can't remember what I heard it was described as, but some giant cloud or something like don't that. Don't listen. Don't listen to everybody. You, you, just, just does he have hor- Does I, he have I, his horn helmet on? It is. No, he doesn't. Uh, you don't really see a person at all. It's uh, basically like feature coming out. Oh no! I want a but giant it's, it's person standing it's... in the middle of New York City, just with giant no, metal. I did boots. too. No, it's still a good movie, regardless. I, I still uh, enjoyed it. You know, I know that there's probably you know our listeners are out there going, there he goes again with liking some <laughs> well, shit movie. <laughs> I liked it. I did. You know, I mean, the first one I I enjoyed the first one too, but I thought the second one was a lot closer to you know a lot closer to the mark. Is it perfect? No. Is it fun? Hell yeah. I mean, but you guys, you guys are comic guys, right? Did you read Annihilation? Because that was that was an awesome take on Galactus. I haven't oh. yet. It's on my to do list, but I haven't made it to it yet. But I'm hearing really good things about that. Yeah, yeah I, was, was... I'm an indie guy, so I haven't read much Marvel or DC and. Years and years. Oh, you're one years. of those guys. Oh, I'm, I'm not, an indie. I'm guy. not snobbish about it. It was just out of when I went to college, I just stopped reading comics altogether because I was just sort of isolated on a campus. And then I finally, when I finally found a comic shop, it was geared mostly towards, you know, less mainstream stuff. So it was, that was the stuff that I was starting to pick up. And it was also stuff. That I could pick up irregularly and not have to worry about missing an issue and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah, in fact, it. you know, to that point, I, I, I took a break from comics just after Civil War. And then, you know, there's there's so many of these crossovers and run-ups to crossovers. I got I just got burnt out of it. Kind of like I did in the 80s where I was like, oh, man, like, can't I just, like, find out what happens without right. reading Spider-Man right. and, you know, Captain America and Iron Man? You are so talking my language right now because I've <laughs> barely read any new Marvel comics since Civil War ended. Because yeah, I read yeah. every single crossover for that event. And it's not that I didn't like them. I really liked them. But by the time the whole thing was said it's and tiring, done, huh? <laughs> I felt like 
wow, I just finished the Marvel Comics library. I don't have to read anymore, you know, and I haven't. I've, I really have not read anything yeah. since. That's that, yeah. See, that's what turned me off is I'd go to the comic shop and all the Marvel and, and DC, and then there were just sort of all these sort of new labels that were trying to do this sort of third-rate versions of what Marvel and DC were doing. And it was just like variant covers and... Oh yeah, you know crossovers and reimaginations, and it was like I can't possibly, aff- you know, I was in college, I couldn't possibly afford to keep up with all that stuff, and and like once I get, once I start getting engaged with it, I like to keep up with it, you know. If if it if it sucks me in, I'm, you know, I want to get as much as I can, but you know, it was sort of pushing the limits of what a man could do, and that's when the people I knew who were really into collecting comics. <laughs> were the ones who had like a warehouse space, you know, and they were just sort of like upset, you know, I've got 15,000 long boxes and stuff because they were the only people who could stick with, you know, that whole program of getting everything and getting all the variants and, and buying two copies of everything. And, Oh, it was tiring. Well, that hurt the industry back, back then. I was, I guess it wasn't eighties. It was the the mid nineties. It hurt the industry. then, And I, and I hear it's hurting it now because, you know, people had to buy all this stuff for Civil War. Then then it was Secret Invasion. And then now is it Dark Realm or something? It's like, come on, guys. Like, geez, right. like, give us a break. Like, wrap it up and let's let's let our heroes have their own stories. Let's just get some good stories. That's all you really need is some, you know, good. It's it's I've been reading a lot of Harlan Ellison lately and I read like uh a collection of his film criticisms and half of it, you know, he's just doing rants about, you know, since he's a writer, he's, that's what he does. He just rants. He just rants about how in Hollywood, the directors and the producers get all the credit and writers are always just sort of written off, you know, where in fact, they're probably the most important part of the, of the process. And since he's Harlan Ellison, you know, they're the most important part of the process, but, (laughs) <laughs> I totally see, you know, I totally, I, I have this thing with, if the, if the writing is bad enough on something, I can actually sort of visualize the script in front of me, you know, and see, see the awkward writing on it and the... Is that your mutant ability? It's what, it's, and if the, if the movie is bad enough to where I get taken far enough out of being into it, I start seeing the cameras and, you know... I start thinking about where the cameras are set up and I sort of see the guys all lined up and, you know, an arc around the scene holding boom mics and, and, uh, wrapping cable and stuff like that. And that means the filmmakers really failed then. Really, really, really failed. Yeah. There's been a couple movies. I haven't, I haven't been in a movie theater and seen a movie like that since Congo. I think that was oh. the last one that I, I was in, and I was just like, "Ooh, boy!" And, <laughs> but if I if I watch the, the the Sci-Fi Channel sometimes, some of those like Mansquito type movies, oh, yeah, I can real. totally see the script like in front of me, and the guy just sort of you know probably like this 19 year old kid sitting somewhere that she's very hot and athletic, and she's you know trapped in, and it's always in a warehouse or someplace cheap to shoot. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, where, where, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, the I writers don't know. Being Damn it. Important. I, I Keep getting the writers are important. 
keep yeah. getting us way, way, way off topic. As long as it's those fine. writers keep me from reading their script while I'm watching the movie, they're doing a good job. Well, hey. I'm curious, what what was your thing in comics, uh, George? I mean, uh, what, what were you, you into? Like, oh, well, I I kind of I'm all over the place. I mean, although I was making fun of uh, you guys for indie stuff, I I, right. I was you know I would read some indie stuff religiously and also i like the i like the capes and the and the you know the tights as well and again i think it went back to uh you know as you were saying good stories good characters you know uh people put into situations where they have to make terrible choices you know good people doing the bad thing for the right reason all that good stuff and you know i think dc really kind of had a a market on that they had the market cornered for a while but then marvel kind of stepped up to the plate i'd say in the last you know five to ten years where they started telling solid stories and it wasn't just fluff so yeah just in general i really enjoyed comic book storytelling because it was uh it was much more visual and much more freeing than you know tv and even and cinema you know because there was no budget you could show you know, a million scrolls fighting, you know, yeah. Captain America. Yeah. And, you know, so that's what really attracted to me. And it's the same with, you know, manga and, and animation as well. You know, that's the stuff that uh, I thought was a lot more vibrant than, you know, the, the films that Hollywood was making. Well, yeah, I mean, well, working yeah. on Clone Wars must be kind of freeing as a writer because you could, you don't really have to constrain yourself as far as writing for, you know, going, well, there's no way they could afford to build a ship this big or do this this many effects in this little time. Well, yeah, what was funny is that uh, on my previous show uh, on Cartoon Network that I created, I since I was the creator, I could go mad and you know, have like a million robots fighting another million robots. But when I came to the Clone Wars, you know, they would actually back me off and go, okay, so it's not a thousand, you know, Republic carriers fighting, you know, an entire droid fleet. Let's let's make it three. Yeah. Uh, so there are <laughs> there are certain things you have to take into consideration. Also, there are certain models that weren't built yet, and you know the processing power couldn't do certain things. So they would tell me what to avoid. But it, but you know, as with anything creative, and I'm sure you guys know this, limitations are actually a great thing. Yeah. Because they force you to create, you know, to create things in in a different way than you might have had, you know envisioned and usually in a better way right well that's, that's one I, of the reasons i think the original star wars is as 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 great a movie as it is because you know he you know george lucas was was forced to kind of rein in his imagination yeah. a little bit and be creative and, and be very miserly with effects and budget and that sort of thing and when he was given more the the absolute free reign and and not having to worry about technology or budget constraints or you know being told no in, in any regard, we got episode one. And I'm and I'm not taking a cheap shot at episode one. I'm just saying that there's a vast difference between you know working in very much a the shark doesn't work Jaws well, yeah. style with with the original Star Wars yeah. and then the you know the sky's the limit with episode 1 this, I, I think that's at, the difference between those two movies about the same point he was still you know for some effect scenes they were still dabbing paint on q-tips and wiggling them right. around for crowd scenes and stuff like that because it was cheaper than than digitally doing it all so you know he I mean, was still watch it but yeah i mean there's no avoiding I mean, that really you know right 
I mean, do you think that's a, a fair or an unfair uh, uh, comparison, George? Uh, in terms of having, you know, the the digital aspect on on episode one versus kind of not so much money and, and run and gun on on a new hope. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 apples and oranges in in many many ways, um, and you know I think that I know that every filmmaker has constraints, especially if you're financing it yourself, which I know he did, you know, initially as well as I think the prequels were financed by him. So mm-hmm. although we may, may think he, you know, he can do whatever he wants, he really can't. And, and no filmmaker can because it is collaborative and you always have to answer to someone unless you like, you're the, the, the Prince of Saudi Arabia and you can just say, okay, I'm going to make a hundred million dollar feature, you know, and I'm going to finance it. You know, you, you have to work with other people and you have to be, you know, realistic. So, you know, when, when we make our, you know, our movies or if we write our episodes, whatever, we always kind of shoot for the moon, but then we have to be <laughs> reined in a bit. But I think that's our job as, as creative people is to, you know, okay, first we blow out all the doors and then we're told, okay, you can't drive that car anymore. Right. Well, one thing I think that sort of is the same for the the prequel trilogy and Clone Wars is you can see as... Uh, with the technology, you can see as they go on that the people who are making it are getting more confident and uh, the, the technology is get getting improved all through them. But because from episode one to episode three, the, the difference of just how the CG worked and how everything worked is night and day. Uh, uh, you know, episode three is just very visually seamless and, and smooth and and I and I noticed after watching the Clone Wars movie and some of the later episodes and the first two episodes especially of season two that as time goes on like the lightsaber battles just get better and better because the camera movements are a lot more interesting and it has less of the a feel of say a video game or something where the camera's swooping in and out so it sort of surpasses a lot of the digital stuff I've seen before and some of the analog stuff because you just can't whip a camera in and out like that. So Yeah, yeah. and it's, you know, it's I'm going to have to contradict you and also compliment you. Like, it, it as with any show or any any creative thing that you're doing, your, your team is going to get stronger. You're going to yeah. learn what works, what doesn't work. But actually, my episode, Cargo of Doom, that just aired was actually made to air in first season so it was one of the initial runs yeah so what you see there though is that you know even even that little jump of a few episodes the team was getting stronger we were figuring out what works both in story as well in you know as as the visual aspect so yeah definitely there is improvement but it's like it's interesting to note that it's not that much of a jump it's just that the, the team got got a lot better a lot quicker wow and yeah, and uh, the the lightsabers—the one that I noticed was the one we, the episode we'd done before this, episode nine. Um, mm-hmm. The you know just the the lightsaber battles were just so fluid, and the camera moves complemented what was going on and played into all the all the different things that were going on, and uh, whereas. You know, when you're watching episode one through three, 
it's pretty much a, a straight on shot you know it's very cinematic and I think that works really well for Clone Wars and as it happens more and more it just becomes more visually exciting I think it was watching the movie for some, there, were, there were parts of the movie that just seemed a, like the character movements in the movie seemed almost more like marionettes it had that sort of jerky marionette feel to it I don't know. I was I was pretty impressed with the way that oh, they well, moved. I, like I, that. I definitely think that that you know that that they've but, I guess well, I refined like their craft. No, be a I good thought way it was something it, but... they might have done purposely because it sort oh, of had okay. that it sort of had that model feel. Well, I know I know Dave mentioned quite a few times that he was kind of inspired by some of that Jerry Anderson yeah. Uh, yeah. stuff, you know, and so I think he was trying to you know reference some of that. Uh, especially in the earlier stuff. Yeah, there's a couple like scenes where a ship would be coming into dock and something, and it would almost have a little wobble on it, like it, it was on wires, you know? And it would sort of come in and wobble a little bit. And I, I, I noticed that a couple times in the movie, when I was in the movie theater, and I loved it. It reminded me of the old Rudolph cartoons and stuff where... That was <laughs> subspace disturbance. And and I was thinking, you know, when we were kids, if this if Clone Wars was on when we were kids, well, first our brains would have exploded. But yeah, we would lose our freaking minds but if it, this was on TV. We but kids. it would have had to have been made like with stop motion models. Yeah, and I was yeah. thinking how well, painstaking that would have been. Well, if you remember, we had Battlestar, the vintage one, and we had Buck Rogers, which was yep. pretty much Star Wars on TV. I mean, they yep. totally stole right. from Star Wars. And we loved it. We yeah. loved every horrible, bad model, bad matte painting, bad costume second of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember putting together Battlestar Galactica models and stuff because it was something that happened in space with shooting and aliens. Yeah. <laughs> and they even had the, you know, the Daggett. They had the cute robe. Each one, you know, it was that was the point after Star Wars where everything science fiction had to have a cute robot. Yeah, some sort. that's right. But, yeah, Buck Rogers had Twiggy, right? But it's like you said mm -hmm. before, there was there was no that just immediate saturation of media that we have today didn't happen then. So, you know, Scott and I have have waxed poetic about watching those little Fisher Price film viewers, you know, of Star Wars and Alien oh. and stuff like that. Because it was moving images, you know, in the magazines, you had to go out and buy Famous Monsters or Starlog yeah, or something Star like Log, that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and now Starlog doesn't even exist as a publication. Is it uh, so, like an online thing? That's so sad. Thing? Yeah, yeah, it's only online. Yeah, and Famous, well, Forrest Ackerman died, so really. That's right, that was this year, right? Yeah, and that was like. I think the, so, yeah. And that was, I mean, the whole. Besides the pictures, you know, that was the main thing that got you to Famous Monsters. But his writing style in Famous Monsters was great. It yeah, was it was very flowerly. Uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to get back to uh, to comics for just a second to, to ask you if you're going to um, do any more work in comics. I'd love to see you do uh, specifically some work in the, in the Clone Wars series that's coming out right now because I'm really digging that. I've been reading that series. Yeah, right now um, Henry Gilroy, who was the the head writer, and Stephen Melching, who wrote a lot of episodes, and he's writing some more. 
they're doing a lot of the Clone Wars stuff, but I actually have two, possibly three comics um, that are uh, in the early stages now that I might be writing on. They're not they're not Star Wars, but uh, a couple of them are my own creations, and almost all of them are sci-fi. So I'm still staying within that general uh, vicinity of sci-fi comic books. But hopefully that stuff will be coming out uh, maybe next summer or so. Have you, oh, have you ever thought of doing anything outside genre type stuff? Uh, I I don't think it's in me. I really don't. Uh-huh. I mean, it's I've I've been offered the chance, you know, to do, uh, you know, stuff that's you know like boring to me basically. You right. know? And I'm like, no, I'd rather I'd rather you know sit this one out. And I'd rather do something that's science fiction or animation or uh-huh. or horror. Yeah, I just don't feel comfortable in the the normal world. Are any of these comic projects are they are they picking up your your previous uh, Cartoon Network property? No, this is all brand new stuff, and a couple of them are collaborations, and uh, one of them is my own. So cool. You know, we'll see we'll see which of these deals falls through and which one goes goes for uh, goes for publication. You have to get back with us uh, and, and keep us surprised on that, so we can talk it up on the show. Absolutely, man. Would love to. I'll head to my local comic. Oh, that would be really cool to pick him up with my LCS. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure you get one, man. Star Wars. The Clone Wars. Most powerful is he who confronts his own power. Newt Gunray has escaped. Jedi Master Kit Fisto and newly minted Jedi Knight Nadar Veb, thinking they are tracking him, instead find themselves pitted against General Grievous in his own lair. All an elaborate trap set by Count Dooku to test Grievous's fitness to remain in command of the droid army. So what did we think of this episode? Oh, it was terrible. Oh, it was a stinker. No, this is one of my favorites, actually. This I I I love the visual feel of this one, of Grievous's lair. Come on, it's just a chase and a fight through Grievous's lair, and you, oh yeah, with two of his legs cut off, so he's got to navigate it by just hanging from the rafters, and and uh, it, well, not to mention we finally get a peek at what he looked like before he was Borgified. You know, we, we get the, the statue glimpses of, of his Former original... Self, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, it has it has almost... Um, oh, what, 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 what are they calling that, that look, that sort of turn-of-the-century thing that's real steampunk? It's got that very yeah, yeah, gothic right. yeah. steampunk look to it. You know, his... You know, just deep corridors, moodily lit... It's steam pipes and metal and oh, it's just awesome! It pits it open up into nuclear furnaces. You know, I'll admit, um, this was the first one I ever watched, or you know, so far into the series. This is the tenth episode. This was the first one where I didn't love it right out of the gate. I actually had to warm to it because I've I've not, I've since watched it several times because I've I've watched the entire series now several times. And I remember the first time I walked, watched this one, I, I walked away thinking, 
I don't know. There was something about it. It's not that I didn't like it or something. There was something about it that, that I don't know, just didn't wow me. But then I watched it again um, yesterday in preparation for this, and I was like, I don't know. I wonder what it was I didn't like about this the first time around because the second time around I really dug it. So I don't know if I was expecting something. For one thing, they maybe it's the fact they kind of drop the Newt Gunray thing, you know, because it, it starts under the premise of – you know, they're, they're, they're tracking there. the signal from the ship that, that Newt Gunray got away in in the previous episode. And that's just kind of dropped and they go into this whole different thing with, with Fisto and his, uh, you know, the, the Jedi that used to be his Padawan and all that going into Grievous's lair and all that. So maybe that was it. But, yeah, I watched it again. I was like, you know, I really enjoyed it. And, man, the lightsaber fight in this one is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, really, really good. Because I'm a total sucker for when Grievous does the the spinning lightsaber and you get that great like lightsaber as a helicopter sound. Yes. I don't know how they do that, but it's I, oh I just love that. I, I really really dig that. Um, one thing I noticed about this is uh, Nadar, Nadar. Mm-hmm. He speaks very clearly. Did maybe you know um, Admiral Akbar maybe had a cold or something? I think I was, he's an asthmatic. Cause I was, yeah, because I was expecting this guy to have a little bit of, like, you know, the saliva, blah, blah, blah. But no, he spoke very clearly. So maybe that was an Admiral Akbar thing and not a Mon Cal- Calamari thing. Well, also, Akbar didn't have any sort I mean, you know, right here on Earth, we've got, you know, how many different, you know, dialects and languages and accents and right. everything like that. So I guess, you know. You know, carrying it to its logical conclusion, you know, other planets and other species would as well. But yeah, I remember thinking that the first time I watched this, that, wow, this guy doesn't sound like, you know, the Mon Calamari we've heard before. You know, the other Mon Calamari just sound like guys, you know. And this guy had, uh, you know, a, a very, like, Asian accent thing, you know, almost like a, like, like, I don't know, it's almost like the cliched kind of kung fu grasshopper thing going on, I thought. Which was a little bit weird and, and almost off-putting the first time I watched it, but you know, like I say, you know, we we have different dialects, so why can't these, you know, this species of people? Yeah. I guess. Oh, you know what else I really liked was the big monster that looked like yes. something off an Iron Maiden album cover, absolutely, or like Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> I love. Oh my god, that was great. Yes, that that, that whole. Yeah, yeah, I got a real kick out of him. That, that that whole scene reminded me of the I think they were fighting an ogre. It was in the the first Lord of the Rings. You know, yeah. they're, they're in you know a small stone room just fighting a huge creature, and it was very similar. Yeah, like down in like the orc cave or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking. Yeah, yeah, totally. So now my my one nitpick for this episode, and it's super minor, but I just when I caught it, I was like, how does that work? Is uh, as the Jedi and uh, and the troopers are sneaking into Grievous's lair, they come up that short staircase, and uh, there's the chair sitting there that's got Newt Gunray in it. You know, and his back is to right. the doorway, and all those droids are ba- are gathered around. And one of the lines of dialogue is "double shifts for everyone." And I'm thinking, you know, if he's talking about droids. How does that? How? Why are the droids in shifts at all? Yeah, right. What do they need downtime? Well, I would <laughs> imagine they, they do. Their families or... Well, they they probably do need lube jobs and 
such and minor repairs and you know time to cool their circuits and and, and I get, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll buy that. This I is guess. something. This uh, is something I I want to find out who the ma- major manufacturer for droid software is in the Star Wars universe. Microsoft. Well, whoever it is, like, like this isn't really a complaint, but this is just something I've noticed, and and this was also something in the new season of Clone, in the second season of Clone Wars, where you see another. It's the robot. I think it's voiced by uh, Seth Green from. Robot Chicken, Austin Power movies. And the, oh, the, seriously? Yeah, these these the the sidekick robots who are kind of bitchy and and like, yeah, basically variations on C three PO. You know, it's I think we were talking about the last time with you know your plastic pal who's fun to be with the real <laughs> right, people right. personalities and 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 this you know Grievous's medical droid has given him a lot of shit. You know. And I mean, I really, like you have character. the only person who's been good. given Grievous shit up to this point's been Dooku. You know, nobody else is going to give this guy shit, and his robots just chiding him. And you know, it, it seems like the the robots that are you know sort of I don't want to say servants or but the ones who are sort of aides always seem to be kind of gripey, right? Well, I got a Paul serious Lynch, like sir. Kirk and McCoy vibe off of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like this, this. Well, actually, Crossing what he more again. reminded me of. Yeah, I know, but he, what he actually more reminded me of than even Doctor McCoy is he actually reminded me a lot of the the Doctor from Voyager. You oh, know, right, he right, had right. that the the bitchy quirk type of things. But yeah, well, I think he gets away with it too because. I get the feeling like like maybe they're they're almost friends on a certain level, but also Grievous is going to rely on this right. guy to to fix him up. So, right. you know that that robot's almost using uh, that leverage to to be able to you think the Emperor speak could to Grievous. Afford to get him a new robot, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, you know, he's going to have to get him a new one now because well, yeah, he got that, yeah. chop it at the at the end of that one. But yeah, I, I really liked that. I liked uh, I liked the R six unit, you know, uh, uh, Kit Fisto's droid. You know, it was really nice to see another smart astromech for a change because yeah. most of the other ones we see are, you know, we we don't really see all that the many other father, ones in the father. entire story. Yeah, you know, they're, yeah, they're cannon fire, especially like in Episode one where we meet R two, you know, chronologically for the first time. Every other unit gets destroyed, you know, outright. They're not terribly smart or terribly good at getting the hell out of the way of laser bolts, but R2 is, and he becomes, you know, a, another hero in the saga, another character in the saga. And it was nice to see that, you know, he's not some aberration when it comes to astromechs, that there are actually other ones that are just as clever and intuitive and all that sort of thing. I, yeah. I liked that. I thought that was a nice touch. Oh, I see here. Oh, now I'm, and, now I'm reading your notes and I see that you had the same, yeah, the same thing as me at the, Monster off the heavy metal album, almost word yeah, for word. yeah, exactly. Oops, sorry, didn't... that's right. I thought you got it actually. Didn't... No, that's sorry. cool. That's totally... <laughs> well, the only other note that I've got is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a brief shot. It's probably less than a second. It's really really fast. You have to look closely for it. But my kids got the biggest kick out of. There's this one shot where Kit Fisto has his own lightsaber held out in front of him, aiming one direction. And he has the uh, the other Jedi, the one that gets killed. He has his 
lightsaber held out in front of him going the other direction. So it's like this parallel bar of lightsabers held out in front of him. And it's just a beautiful picture. I wish they'd make like a, like a poster or like i I'd love it for like, like wallpaper on my computer. So it was a great shot. My kids saw that and they were just like, Ooh, they thought it was really awesome. So I, I, I love that beautiful, just a, a quick little shot, but it was so gorgeous. Well, there, there's whole parts of clone wars. that look like they're a, an illustration off the cover of a fantasy or a sci-fi novel. Just come to life in 3d mm-hmm. and moving. I love it. Just yeah, it's like Hildebrandt or so, you know something like that. You know, just that lush color and oh, I love it. Absolutely. Hey, we haven't haven't lost George, have we? Oh, still here, guys. Okay. Anything to add on this one, or, or are you you're diplomatically staying out of another writer's episode? Oh no, no. This was uh, this was Henry Gilroy's episode, and Henry was the the head writer, and he's a good friend, and uh, he got to. Have a lot of fun with this one. Obviously, we got to see you know a little bit of backstory and Grievous, and we don't really know that much about this character. And it was kind of that that whole haunted house and space feel, you know, a la the first Alien. So you know, this was this was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun as a fan and also you know as a writer appreciating another writer's work. Yeah, that's true. The haunted house aspect. I hadn't thought of that, and you're right. Yeah, it was very much that uh, that haunted house feel. Definitely. That's all I got for this one. What about you, Chris? Let me see. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Lightsaber fights very organic. I think I was talking about that last time. Oh, at the end, Yoda, mm-hmm. Yoda actually... Oh, yeah, I have actually I have two more notes. This is one of the few episodes where the quote in the beginning of it actually, like, you can directly put it into the, you know, apply it to the story. You know, directly. You can. It, it, I've I've always looked at them as sort of almost like fortune cookies. You know, just sort of like, right. hey, here's a quote from Yoda. But this one directly goes goes into the story. And at the end, Yoda actually says, you know, that we're in danger of losing who we are, which is something we've been talking about a lot lately. Is just right. the Jedi sort of being on the decline, or or you know, just sort of. You know, hitting hitting a a wall in their in their evolution or something, and I think by the time Yoda's saying this, it's almost maybe too late. Maybe they've already lost who they are, you know. But uh, right. That that quote sort of resonated with me when I saw it. But that's all I have. <laughs> Sorry. I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. Okay, welcome welcome back to Orca's Book Club. This time around, I am talking about Star Wars, The Clone Wars by Karen Travis. This is, I'm tempted to call this the adaptation of the film. You know, the, the feature film, the Clone Wars feature film that kicked off the animated series. But you know... That's doing it a gross injustice to simply chalk it up to being an adaptation of the film. That is pretty much how it was marketed. I think that's pretty much how it's out there and what people probably think it is. But I'm going to tell you right now, I am going to highly, highly, highly recommend this book. you got to read it. 
if you're a fan of that that movie, if you're a fan of the series, but most especially if somehow you were put off by the Clone Wars movie, if, if it just didn't resonate with you or you didn't dig it or whatever, or if you're a fan of the, the, the Clone Troopers, man, I'm telling you, this is a book for you. What I really liked about this book was that it, it's not just a straight-up play-by-play adaptation of the film. Yes, it does cover basically the same events, but this book is very, very much from the clone troopers' perspective. There's, you know, most of the scenes in this book that deal with the Republic forces don't so much focus on Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, although, you know, they are clearly in the book, but it, uh, more of it is really from the, the perspective of the clone troopers. Now, Karen Travis has established a reputation of kind of being the, the clone troopers' writer. And, and it's funny, you know, reading this book, you know, this was just the next one in my stack to, to get to. And I read it, you know, because I'm a fan of that movie and, and the series and all. But she had, I knew that she had all these other books out there based on the, the, the commandos. I think they're called Republic Commandos or something like that. It's a whole series of books. I remember seeing them in the bookstores and thinking, nah, I don't know. That just doesn't sound like that's for that. would seem like it was a little bit too far off the beaten Star Wars path for my interest. But I'll tell you what, after reading this book and f- seeing the way she fleshes out those characters and makes them very real and, and believable and sympathetic and, and characters that you really come to be interested in and care about – Man, now I really want to read those books that that you know that she wrote about the uh, the clone troopers because she made them very very interesting. So um, I'm just going to wrap it up by saying I highly recommend it. It was really really good. That's uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars by Karen Travis. Read it. It was good. And by the way, this was the the full novel. I actually read the book this time. Ooh, this was not good the uh, yeah yeah exactly. I read a book. But, you know this <laughs> normally I'm, I'm reviewing. Yeah. Well, you know, normally I'm reviewing the, the audio books for these type of things, you know, because it's easy to listen to, you know, on the treadmill or, or driving around in the car or whatever. But this time I actually had the, the hardbound book I picked up somewhere on the cheap, and I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it, so I highly recommend it. This has been the Orca Book Club. Long ago. In a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars. The greatest space fantasy of all. Okay, welcome back. This is the final segment of the show in which we are going to review three consecutive issues of Marvel Comics Star Wars, number 30, number 31, and number 32. And I will hand it off to Chris Honeywell for the first review. Ah, yes. Well, our first one is number 30. And once again, it's got a cover by Infantino and Wycheck. And um, I don't know what month this was. Um, December. Was it December of yep. 1979? And the cover price was 40 cents. Oh, uh, doesn't that make you sick? <laughs> uh, yes. 
considering they are literally ten times that amount now, yes, it does make me very sick. So from what I remember, back in the day, for $2, you could buy an action figure and a Star Wars comic book. Uh, Scott Scott and I used to divide up our allowances either by Star Wars cards or comic books. You know, we knew how many of... (laughs) How many of each we could get for, you know, whatever amount we had. As pitiful an allowance <laughs> as I had, you know, I would typically get $5. Yep. A, it was either a week That's or right. bi-weekly. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. But for 5 bucks, you could pretty much get every comic on the stands that you gave a shit about. As opposed to today, you can get one. one. It's, it's, a, it's terrible. And a exactly. It's a crime. <laughs> So this one is pretty much the usual lineup, except uh, this time we've got uh, Gene Day inking for Carmine Infantino, which, as if you've been listening to the show, you know Scott and I are big fans of when Gene Day yes. inks. Yes. And, of course, Love once Gene. again, Ar- Archie Goodman writing. And this story is A Princess Alone. <gasps> and uh, Princess Leah gets her solo adventure she was sort of griping about last, last time, uh, when she's taken to spy on the Imperial factory planet Metalorn. This is the mission that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, this is the mission that she scromped General Dodonna to get, right? Right. I don't know if she did it to get the mission or if they were just sort of hooking up on the side anyway. (laughs) You know, I don't know. Hey, man, talking about Leah here. We have. We'll, we'll, uh, you need to go back we'll, and check we'll, out number twenty-nine. We'll send you some. We'll send you, we'll send you some pictures to look at, and we'll let you. Oh, we'll no, let, we'll let you decide it. from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Anyway, they send her to the planet Metalorn as a spy, and uh, she's going to infiltrate the planet as sort of a drone worker. In as Carmen Infantino likes to draw a tight-fitting drone worker's <laughs> u- uniform. <laughs> Uh, we find out that uh, Baron Tag is there, and he's ex- inspecting a security system that he's put on the planet, which can uh, track weapons and detect unapproved weapons on the planet. And it's sort of their their way of making sure you know none of the locals can get frisky, or nobody could come in and attack them. So uh, we we see this young girl, uh, Tammy, who's you know maybe six or seven years old, and uh, She's broken free of school and she's trying to plant seeds in this little patch of dirt that, you know, one of the small only remaining patches of dirt left on Metalorn where, you know, it's been made into a giant factory. And her her mother is just sort of passing by in a line of workers and, you know, tells her to stop doing that, that it's pointless. And uh, then a stormtrooper comes and sort of yells at her mother and shoes her off. So, uh... Um... Meanwhile, Leah's gotten on the planet with no weapon and used uh, some sort of glue spray to uh, blind a stormtrooper and steal his gun. So uh, Tag and the planet's governor, uh, Corwith, see that a gun's been stolen. They start tracking it, and they send troopers after Leah. So Tag, in the meantime, he just sort of stalks off. So Leah's fighting off all the the, uh, troopers, and she sort of ditches them by jumping onto a conveyor and uh, you know they're, they're, they're following her by her track gun and she just sort of leaves the gun behind in the ore trailer and splits so you know when it comes out the other end there's just her gun in there 
and she's led the troops on a wild goose chase. So she sort of makes her way to a cafeteria where there's this uh, um, old man, Arn Hordan, who turns out to be a former teacher of hers from Alderaan. And he's horrified to see her because he thinks that her presence there was going to get him in trouble and, you know, he doesn't want to make waves. So then Tag shows up and he's got his lightsaber drawn and he's, you know, figured out Leo is here to, by um, listening to the Stormtrooper's um, recorded voice, or well, the voice of Leah recorded on the Stormtrooper's mask and he's voice printed her. And somehow out of the universe, he's you know figured out it was Princess Leia. So, so um, well, he pardon. tracked her to this guy because this guy he he basically yeah, he, when he, he figured he, out it was Leia, then he said, okay, which which people on this planet have a connection to Leia? You know, which prisoner? Yeah. And, and that's how he was yeah. able to track him to that that teacher. That's yeah, I, that's what I got here on the. Yeah, he. he <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> I just had to turn the page there, man. Sorry, man. I'm just. Uh, yeah, he linked Dan Horda to her, and and that's how he found her. So, uh, he promises it to her that he's going to hand deliver her to the Emperor, because of course we know Baron Tag is sort of pissed off because he got in a fight with Darth Vader and was blinded, and uh, so he really wants to see Vader gone, and he sort of wants to be the Emperor's right right hand man. So he's always trying to do. Th- stuff to curry favor with the emperor so uh she she throws food in his robot eyes and and sort of pretends to run off but she sort of hides among all the cowering workers and the little girl tammy sort of runs up and huddles over her like she's her mother or something and sort of hides Leah. in tag runs off you know thinking he's gonna chase her down so leah gives tammy a little little speech and compliments her on her bravery and, you know, tells her to face all her fears when doing something you believe in. And Tammy goes, well, what if everybody else says it is impossible? And she says, especially if everybody else says it's impossible. So, uh, she sort of sneaks off the planet and they're flying away and the, the pilot's like, you know, well, you know, you didn't take down the factory or anything. And basically she said, well, you know, all I needed to do was just sow the, sow the right seeds and show the right people, you know, that there is a rebellion and that, you know, we can reach them. And the last scene we see is young Tammy and she's still, still trying to plant her seeds as, you know, some stunning metaphor for the seeds of rebellion being planted on. Metalurn. So that's the end of uh, issue 30. Yeah, that was... It was a good one. It had a, it had a little THX 1138 element to it, I thought. I, w- I need to take you to task. I think you're, you're, you're very insensitive to the plight of the handicapped. Oh, you know, no. I'm sorry. He doesn't have robot eyes. He's got cyber vision, damn it. And how would you uh, feel if you had to wear these cyber vision classes all the time? <laughs> have a heart, man. Sorry, no, man. I, <laughs> you're usually the heartless one. I'm, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm you're usually, right. I'm usually the softy, but I don't know. I just don't have much sympathy for Baron Tag. I like Baron Tag as a character, but yeah, no, I don't yeah. have a lot of sympathy for him either. I mean, basically, his whole beef is that you know, 
Darth Vader's got the Emperor's favor and he wants it and and you know he's just continuing to to whine about it and determine that he's going to get the attention of the Emperor if it kills him, which I think it might in the end. I, I, I honestly can't remember, I don't remember the either. final fate of Baron yeah. Tag, so I'm anxious. There is to a final re- fate. I think probably the story is probably called The Final Fate of Baron Tag. <laughs> probably. Uh, I see Goodwin. <laughs> well, Archie Goodwin, that's one of my notes, is he loves coincidence. All oh, his... Yeah. You know, all his stories, he can conveniently just sort of tie things together because the planet that, you know, in the last one, it was like, let's go get a part for R2. And it was, oh, hey, here's the guy who's been stalking Luke Skywalker is at the very same shop that they first go into. And and this one, it's to say, you know, Baron Tag just happens to be at the planet where Princess Leia is. It happens again in the next issue, but you know what? I actually noticed, I actually made a note of the fact that there is, well, there is an explanation given, which is more than we got in this issue and the previous issue. So at least maybe potentially he he realized that, geez, a lot of these coincidences (laughs) happening. And he gives kind of a half-assed explanation next issue. When I get to it, I'll point it out. But uh, yeah, you know, I don't have a lot on this one either, other than the fact of, I still enjoy it, you know, just as much as I did when I was a kid. I, I really get a kick out of it. However, you know, I, I got to be honest. I don't think that it quite holds up. Um, I was going to say realistically, but you know what I mean, realistically in, in, in air quotes. Just because, you know, my biggest problem with this issue is, and, you know, all right, please don't write me and tell me I'm a sexist bastard or anything. I don't want a bunch of hate mail about hating women or anything. It's got nothing to do with that. I think Princess Leia is a perfectly capable woman. You know, I think she's, you know, empowered in that whole nine yards. It has to do with the fact, not of her being a woman, but of her being the leader of the freaking rebellion. I don't think that she would be allowed to run off half-cocked on this goofy mission of hers to try to sow the seeds well, of re- rebellion yeah, but that, on they, an imperial factory they, plant. They, they address that, and she says, it's because I'm the leader of it that, that I should, you know, I have to be an example. And by the leader of the rebellion showing up on their world and, and you know, inspiring a few key people, it's pretty it's pretty self-grandiose <laughs> sort of way of thinking about it you know i don't buy it you know they don't let they don't let the president run off to iraq to try to sow the seeds of you know democracy right you know what i mean that would be very interesting yeah i mean you know sure he could go over there with like a secret service detail and and hold a press conference but you don't see him actually sneaking over there behind enemy lines lines by himself with you know unarmed unarmed with just a spray bottle of glue yeah, and see, I don't think that that's. I would a pay wild... good money to see any president do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that's a wild analogy or, or an inapt, uh, you know, comparison. I think that's a very real comparison. She is very much the top political figure. Sort of a fig- she's kind this... of the figurehead, really. Right. You know, I think the so... gen- generals are running the show probably more than anything else at this point. But still, yeah, but that was sort of in the last ish, you know, last month, that was sort of what, you know, she was saying, I have to do something, I can't be like the Emperor and just stand in the background and and plot and be on the, you know, be a, a figurehead that's kept away from everything. I have to fight to prove that everybody in the Rebellion's fighting, you know, that I'm one of you. My guess is that Very one of two... Guevara or Fidel Castro style. Right. 
Well, my guess is that one of two things happened behind the scenes in the offices of, of Marvel Comics is that one, they either some, and maybe it was even a Lucasfilm thing. I don't know. But somebody somewhere probably said either we specifically need a Princess Leia story, yeah. whether it was to appeal to little girls or whatever. We need a Princess Leia story or it was the other thing where, you know, this is a regular monthly comic book. And one of the things you do in an ensemble cast comic book, like say the Avengers is every once in a while, you have to have solo stories. You know, you have to feature, you know, it's like, I mean, they do the same thing in episodic TV. You know, you see, you watch a season of like, say Star Trek, there's going to be, you know, your Kirk episode, your Spock episode, your McCoy episode, your Scotty episode. So it's the same sort of thing with comics that, you know, it doesn't happen sure. quite as often, but you know, you still get, you'll get your solo stories. And up to this point, had we really gotten a Leia solo story? Oh, I, I, I no, and, and I think there's you know probably people writing all the time going, I want to see a story. With, I want to see a story just about Chewbacca, and I think there right. was one eventually. I think there was one oh, of yeah. Chewbacca on, you know, on on a planet alone, surviving or so, something, if I recall right. And uh, well, you know. I'm just glad that eventually Leia does get some really good solo stories. Not that this one's bad. I I, I do enjoy it. It's got a lot of action and everything. I just, I, you know, I, I guess in the long run, if I had to sum it up with a word, it would be kind of hokey. You it know? is, it it, is it's hokey. A little bit, it's a hokey. But she does get some, uh, at least one that I can recall later on, way late in the series, she does finally get <coughs> an excellent, really, really excellent solo story. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Just cough all over me, man. Well, I think I think a lot of the hokiness to uh, of this was lost on me when I was younger. You know, I mean, right. the whole planting the seed of rebellion they would have been a you know very deep for me at the time when I was reading this. I don't think I actually had this one when I was a kid. I'm not sure when I first got it either. I don't remember if this was one I got originally or not. I, my guess is probably not because the copy I have right now actually has a store stamp on it and uh, the original bag from Twilight Book and Game in Syracuse. So I'm guessing this was something I bought years later in the aftermarket. But yeah, just a guess. A lot of these comics I read originally because they were, you know, they were yours because you – I'd – I don't remember why I stopped getting Star Wars or if I just... They were hard to find in our if area. I just couldn't get them or something, but... Yeah, and I, I didn't pick them up till, you know, probably in the 60... You know, post-Empire. I mean, that's why, you know, I, I, I talked when we went... When we covered episode... Or issue number 25, that's why I make such a big deal about that one. Because when I saw that one on the stands... I didn't realize that Star Wars was still being published. I, I thought it had ended at some point because it just disappeared out of our local market. And then all of a sudden one day I'm, you know, I went to the, the convenience store and boom, there's number 25. And that's why that cover and that issue has always been such a sentimental favorite because it's basically when I rediscovered comic books, you know, rediscovered Star Wars comic books specifically. And right. it was like, Wow, you know, brand new Star Wars. You know, I hadn't seen this in I don't know how long it had been. Probably a, a year and a half or something. So I was thrilled. But uh, my last note on this one, I just got to ask. Maybe you can figure this out. All right, panel yeah. one on page three, the first panel. What the hell are they flying through? Just some. It's like some weird blasted open hole, maybe. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it almost makes it makes it look like the the factory portion of this planet that that the story it's, takes place in is inside the planet. Or it could be some really thick belching factory smoke that their shields are displacing. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I thought about that, but it sure doesn't look like clouds to me. It looks. No, it like, looks like a rock with a. It rock, looks like the yeah. Guardian of Forever. Ha 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 ha! Nice. <laughs> That's all I got. You want me to uh, to rip into mine here? And then we could do a crossover Star Trek where when Princess Leia's ship flies out, Edith Keeler sees a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you know, I was just saying a while back, it was how remarkable it was. We've never gotten mail complaining that we're constantly crossing those two streams, but it just might happen. I oh, you're going to get it for this one. I... <laughs> I regularly beg for hate mail. I love well-written, well-written hate mail. I want well-written hate mail. I've gotten, I've gotten plenty of like, you know, just you know, just internet troll hate is just like you, you are stupid. You should die. Eh, whatever. But a really well-written, just hateful piece of, of, of griping about about my art. I love it. I love it. I have. I have. I was. Why? In, uh, Why do you in flirt? One, in one of the bands I was in, one of my most treasured possessions is this picture of me up on stage with like the words "blah blah 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 blah" coming out of my mouth with a noose tied around my neck. Oh, <laughs> and and I can't remember what was written, but it was "I hate something," and I love it. <laughs> I found it after the show, and I was like, "Look, I inspired somebody." <laughs> So I, I would not I would not handle that sort of thing well at all. What about you, Joe? Well, I mean, do you do you solicit hate mail for like for like the episodes that you there's wrote? Some, there's something wrong with me. No, I'm, no. I'm not saying I'm healthy or normal at all, you know. <laughs> I'm just I'm just telling it like it is. I, I it well, was it's good. You take you take hatred and you turn it into something positive. So there you go. Yeah, I like some. Yeah, unlike me, where I take hatred and it sinks down to my very soul and weakens me, <laughs> starts eating you away like the acid from the alien's blood. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I have pretty. Uh, I've been in a lot of terrible bands. I've got thick, 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 callous skin. I've had well, the, I've I had people don't. threaten to go home and get guns before. <laughs> I'm gonna Yikes. get my gun. <laughs> All right. You want me to get into the next one? On to you. Ep- All right. Issue here 31. We go. All right. Going back to January 1979 for Marvel Comics Star Wars number 31, written by Archie Goodwin, art by Carmine Infantino, and Bob Wycheck, who also provide a really nice cover on this one of Luke and the Droids. They're hiding under a ridge while above them stormtroopers, one of whom is astride a patrol dewback, look on. I don't know if they're supposed to be looking for them or what, but yeah, it really is. I love this cover. I actually, just not to interrupt, but... No, go ahead. The the inking, and why checks inking in this, I think, is better than Gene Day. I usually love Gene Day seeing him as sort of a break from Wycheck, but I really love Wycheck's inks in this particular issue. They're a little different than usual, and I like it. I think he settled down, you know, because I, I mentioned a while back that I read an article, a really recent ish, issue, you know, relatively speaking, recently, 
of Back Issue Magazine had a, uh, an interview with Bob Wycheck where he specifically talked about his run on Marvel Star Wars, and he admitted that he was in a very experimental phase while he was working on that title and played around with a lot of different uh, tools of the inking trade and a lot of different styles and everything. But I think by this time, I think he'd finally settled down because that was actually one of my notes is that I think he does a much better inking job. I mean, not that he was horrible or anything before, but he was very inconsistent and very thick with his lines in some of the previous issues. But this one looks very good. It's much more in line with, uh, it's with very the aspects. Of the, yeah. Yeah. Very much. So I really enjoy this because I love the, uh, the splash in this, which, uh, well, I'll go ahead and get into this. Um, again, original cover price on this one was 40 cents and the story title is return to Tatooine, which, you know, you know, from listening to, you know, if you listen to our show, you know, that Chris and I usually cringe when, you know, Tatooine comes up, but this was really, you know, I was going to say this was the first time, but possibly the newspaper strip might've beat the, the comic to the story of returning to Tatooine. I'm not sure. I remember in the comic strip in the Russ Manning comic strip that ran on our local right. paper, Luke went back to tattooing there too. And that may be, that may predate this. I'm there not sure. There was another but... tattooing story, but it was a flashback right. in Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right too. Yeah. I forgot about that, but this was, you know, the first full blown revisit, you know, where Luke actually went back and spent a significant amount of time and even some of the, the same haunts and that sort of thing. And I really like it for that reason. Again, you know, looking at it with uh, with rose-colored glasses, you know, for the nostalgia factor and all that. But anyway, we open to an absolutely gorgeous shot of a rendezvous between an Imperial battle cruiser and a House of Tag mining explorer. We turn the page and we have a scene between the CyberVision glasses-wearing Baron Tag and one of his brothers. Now, this brother, from what I've researched, was originally intended to be the same Tag that we saw sitting at the conference table aboard the Death Star having that disagreement with Moti. You know, no, Moti was the guy that Vader force-choked right. um, you know, in the movie, and this was way back in issue one of the Marvel comic Star Wars. That apparently has since been retconned, and this is just simply another brother of Baron Tag. Um, I, I guess the official continuity story, you know, canon story now is that that Tag did actually die in the destruction of the Death Star. Anyway, the Baron is, uh, you know, he's laying new plans to win the favor of the Emperor from Darth Vader. You know, same thing he's always up to. And his brother warns him about opposing Vader. And the Baron assures his brother that, you know, things are proceeding as, you know, as he's planning and everything. His plans are all coming together on a quiet, unsuspecting backwater world called Tatooine. So we cut to that world where we find Luke Skywalker and he's wearing his old desert fatigues and he's sporting that, you know, cool styling sand hat of his, you know, that I don't know that we ever actually saw him wear that in the movie. But I remember a lot of like the tops trading cards showed deleted scenes from the movie like with Luke and Treadwell and stuff like that where he had that sand hat on but I don't know that it actually made it into the cut of the film I don't remember anyway uh, he's looking through his ma macro binoculars as 3PO and R2 are unloading a land speeder off of the ship that they came to the planet in when Luke suddenly yells out a warning to get the electrically charged covering over the ship quick and the droids, you know, they comply. They And the passing Imperial Patrol chalks up the land speeder that they pick up on their scanner to simply being locals out hunting womp rats. So Luke and the droids, they set out in their land speeder on, 
going to Mos Eisley, and they're on a mission to try to recruit smuggler pilots as blockade runners for the rebellion. I don't know how that really works out, you know, in the in the logic of the story. It doesn't quite ring quite. Archie Goodwin coincidence. Yeah, loves it. Well, loves not it. not that. Just the aspect of, I mean, is that really a smart thing to do to go recruit guys that are probably of kind of a questionable moral character to do something that vital for the rebellion, which is supposed to be a big secret? I mean, what if they just simply decide that there's more money in just capturing Luke and turning him over to the Imperials? Maybe you I know, guess because so that's where they got Han Solo or something. They're like, well, yeah, we got Han Solo yeah. and Luke Skywalker from tattooing. You know, who yeah. else could be there? I guess. I don't know. That's that's. I guess that's kind of where they're going from. Know. But I just yeah. looked at it more of the angle of I don't know that I'd, I'd want to do that. I don't. I think that's kind of a sketchy proposition at best. But anyway, we're just gonna run. We'll run with it for now. So anyway, suddenly Luke yells, and you know, Luke does a lot of yelling in this issue. It seems like Luke yells, "Stop!" And he leaps out of his speeder and runs off, and 3PO quickly realizes what's happening. They have come across the old Lars homestead, and uh, you know Luke gets out, and he goes to pay his respects to his aunt and uncle. And while he's thinking about them, he suddenly realizes that one of the, the old evaporators is still working. And he goes over and he starts to investigate, and this voice from behind him tells him to hold it or start spending the rest of his life dead. And, you know, the voice tells him to toss his, <laughs> his blaster away. What? <laughs> that line. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty corny line. It's, it's still cool, though. So the voice tells him to throw his blaster away, and he does it. But he does it in a way that Han Solo taught him to where, you know, he's able to distract the, this per- person behind him. And so he whirls around with his lightsaber and disarms this mysterious stranger who turns out to be none other than Luke's old chum from his goofing off at the Tashi, Tashi Station days, Fixer. And Fixer, you know, brings Luke up to speed. He tells him, um, you know, that he now works the Lars farm. Uh, and that the farm has been bought up by the the House of Tag. You know, they bought up a whole bunch of, uh, of farms in the area, apparently. He also says that uh, Luke was assumed dead in what everyone came to believe was a Tusken Raider raid uh, that, that killed his aunt and uncle. And he worries that, you know, now that Luke has reappeared, that it might sour things for him and another one of Luke's old boyhood friends who was uh, Fixer's girlfriend, Cammie. Cammy and Fixer, you know, they're now married and they're trying to make a life for themselves on, on tattooing. And, you know, but this reunion between them all is, is cut short by C-3PO who comes in to inform Luke that uh, an Imperial troop carrier is in the area and they're forced to flee the scene. So 3PO apologizes, you know, while they're in the land speeder driving away. But Luke, you know, he, he says it's okay. He's come to realize that he doesn't really share much in common with his old friends now anyway because of all the experiences he's had since leaving tattooing. So suddenly, 3PO yells to look out, and Luke narrowly avoids smashing the speeder uh, against the this canyon wall as he swerves to avoid a bantha standing right in the middle of the path that they're on. So he gets out to investigate because the, you know, the, the creature hasn't moved or anything, which is really odd behavior for a bantha. And a quick investigation reveals that the Bantha is dead. It's frozen solid. So then we get a warning from R2, which causes Luke to, you know, back his speeder around the corner out of the way where it can't be seen. 
and the Imperials arrive in their troop carrier and they destroy the Bantha and all evidence that it ever existed. So Luke, you know, now he's sufficiently intrigued. He decides he's not leaving Tatooine until he knows just what the hell's going on here. We cut to another meeting between Baron Tag and yet another one of his brothers, this time Silas, who is kind of the mad scientist of the family, and he's designing this super secret weapon for Baron Tag. And the Baron tells his brother that, you know, he specifically chose this planet for the weapons test because of its importance to Luke Skywalker. And this is an attempt to hopefully draw the boy out. So that's that, you know, taking care of the coincidence factor, or at least trying to, that I was talking about a, a little while ago. And, you know, you'll remember that the Baron swore vengeance on Luke back in number 26 because, you know, Luke ruined his plans with that big tornado-making machine that he had hidden inside uh, Yavin. So anyway, back with Luke, he and the droids are creeping into Mos Eisley in the middle of the night in their land speeder, and Luke leaves the droids outside the cantina. And yes, it's the same cantina. So, you know, I always got the feeling that back in these days that tattooing wasn't a real big place with a whole lot going on because it seemed like they always were winding up back at the same places. You know, there's no mention <laughs> no, of like Mos Espa or anything. You know, they always go to like the same exact places. And that ca- that dirty cantina is like the hot spot, you know. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that cantina is like the, the Las Vegas. So, yeah. And there'll, there'll be more coming on that and coming up too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, once we get inside, um, you know, just as Luke's thinking, you know, how nice it would be to to see a friendly face in this cantina, who comes crashing into him, apparently reeling from a bar fight, but Han Solo. Now there's your big coincidence for the issue right there. Yeah, right. So, you know, Chewie's there, too. And although, you know, he doesn't say anything in this uh, this issue, which is a real shame because I love reading Chewie dialogue in these old comics – um, you know, the old friends, they, uh, they grab a table and they all sit down. They bring each other up to speed on their adventures and what's been going on. And as they're doing this, Luke catches sight of Fixer walking by. And Luke's at, Luke asks him, you know, what are you doing here? And Fixer, you know, he kind of stumbles his way through an explanation of, you know, how rough life is on Tatooine. And, you know, they're down on their lock and it's hard times. And he and Cammy have really tried to make a, a go for themselves and all that. And Luke figures out what he's getting at. Fixer sold them out and sold him out to the Empire. So before he really gets a chance to get too pissed off about that, these stormtroopers arrive and there's suddenly this running blaster fight out of the back door and to Luke's land speeder where everybody, you know, Han Chewie and Luke pile in with the droids and they race like hell out of Moss Eisley into the middle of the desert night. But as we learn, it may not be a clean getaway because one of the stormtroopers spots a trail of coolant leaking from the speeder that apparently caught a laser blast in the fight. And the trooper proclaims that if the desert patrols don't get our heroes, the twin sons will. And that's where the issue ends. So what'd you think of this one? This one had a lot of this one. Of course it had Baron Tag's brother saying the line, the empire will strike back. Yes. Love that. And, uh, good, good, subtle setup. Yeah, there was another scene where I was wondering, wouldn't Luke get really pissed off when someone called him Wormy again? You know, he just blew up the Death Star and and, uh, Cammy's like, it's little Wormy, which is sort of goes to episode two when Anakin met back up with, uh, 
with Amidala, and she called him Little Annie, and he would just sort of, Bleh. You're right. So it's the same sort of thing. And, and it was sort of in the novelization and just sort of it seemed like Luke might have had a little crush on Cammy too. Yeah, yeah, so, I think he So did, he comes, yeah. he blew up the Death Star, you know, he's Luke Skywalker, you know, the Emperor's after him, and this girl can just go, little wormy, it's little wormy. Yeah, and, uh, no, he actually takes it with a little bit of nostalgia. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't really take it. Yeah. And it's funny, he, uh, I he actually makes a comment. Of, I, I would have thought he would get gotten pissed, you know. Yeah, I know. I'd rather see him do it's, something well, he's like He's a Jedi yeah. now. He's risen beyond that sort of thing. Well, yeah, but this was this is still just post Star Wars. He hasn't even met up with Yoda. He still should be a little bit, a little bit more. Bra- well, maybe not. Maybe not as brash and impulsive. Know. I'd still like him to say, "Hey, I destroyed the Death Star. Haven't you heard? I'm the shit." Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love and, that. And, and this actually reminded me, you know, that his nickname was Wormy, and Anakin's nickname was Wormo. Oh, God. They, they called him Wormo, so that, there was... Right. Well, you know, Luke even remembers specifically the very last time that he heard her call him that nickname, which was yeah. when he, he ran into... The scenes that uh, cut out Tosh's... of Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. And I just was like... Okay, I mean that, it's a nice callback, and you know there's the editor's note and all that. But I mean, what you know? Do you specifically? Well, there's a callback to every element of yeah, yeah tattooing exactly. in this. Every single <laughs> yeah. thing that's endemic to t- tattooing is You're in right. this comic. Right. Actually, that there isn't a Tuscan Raider, but they're mentioned anyway. Well, you know, you got to forget. I mean, they only had the first movie to work with. Oh, you right. Know, so it was. Very small expanded universe at this point, so and, you got to kind of give that kind and, of thing. I think. And when someone tapped him on his shoulder at his, his aunt and uncle's place, I thought it was going to be Throg. <laughs> that story wouldn't come along for years. And in the cantina, it's the the same band is still playing. They have one overworked <laughs> yeah, they, band. You can't you can't find another job out there, man. <laughs> there you go. I wonder. Held if over. Held over for its fifty third straight week or something. I, I, I wonder if they're a yeah, cover they're like band. Don Rickles out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're a cover act. I wonder if they're like the Beatlemania of Star Wars. You know. Oh, there you go. I had a note on this one about the land speeder that they use. Now, didn't Luke make a comment? in the first movie about the land speeder that he sold just before they leave the planet, you know, to, to get up some money to pay Han. Yeah. That this was an outdated model that he was using. So right. why is, yeah. yeah. I mean, why is the one that they bring with them? Yeah, maybe that's all they had. The rebellions on a, on the cheap. <laughs> I guess. I guess you know the you know they they went into the warehouse and they're like got a land speeder a land speeder huh where are you going tattooing <laughs> oh shit well, you are you going are to jumping tattooing. ahead reading your notes you're jumping ahead I'd say that it might be that they were pushing the toys you know because That's if true. you remember and and I'm sure you guys did the same thing you'd read a comic and and you know you'd be like oh. I, I heard that toy's coming out, and then you'd go to your local store, and, and well, sometimes you'd actually use the comic and show them because you didn't have anything else. Well, this that's is, true. I, I, this is, that's pretty good for you not having the comic in front of you because they do have 
the troop transport in this. Yes. That, that was a toy, but really never showed up in the movies at all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it confused me because I was always looking for it. You know, yeah. but it was one of those off-screen I, kind of things. I wanted one so bad. Yeah. And, I had, mean, there, there's really two potential toy tie-ins in this. I, I really think that the inclusion of the of both the patrol do-back and, and specifically the Imperial Troop Transport really were somebody somewhere was being pressured to, to throw in the new toys that, that would have come out. Because I'm pretty sure that they came out late, you know, those two toys, especially the Troop Transport. Yeah. If I remember right, it came out pretty late after Star Wars was out, not long before Empire came out. Exactly, I, yeah. I remember that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, the, the timing with this issue is just a little bit too coincidental for me to, to not think that the, the toy marketing played some part in, in oh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Kenner and Marvel and Lucasfilm were all talking, you know, mm-hmm. so there was communication and they said, this is the next wave, so like put it in the book. I wanted one so bad, though. I, I never I never even saw the troop transport in stores or anything, but I can remember the commercial. Oh, yeah. With and the just thought it was the most awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that seems so passe today. You know, when when you go to the, you know, you go to Walmart and you buy your kids. Everything's got sampled voices on it. Yeah, yeah. everything. I mean, you know, the the, yeah. the blaster actually sounds like you know, the real blaster and everything. But when we were kids, you know, if you bought Han Solo's laser pistol, put the batteries in and squeeze the trigger, it sounded like, eh, you know, it made some goofy sound. It sounded nothing like the real movie. So to, to get a toy that actually had sampled voices and sound effects right from the movie was, I mean, that was a really big cool. deal. Yeah. Yeah. I was in love with that, you know, the, the commercial, but I never got one. <laughs> uh, jump on eBay. They're like $6 now. Oh, seriously? Oh, I got to get one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oddly enough, I was just looking at one earlier today. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to have to get one. I want to get a patrol do back because I was a stupid kid. And I always used to trade my stuff with other kids, and I was horrible at it. You know, I mean, other kids were really (laughs) good at trading their toys. I was shit at trading my toys. I I traded my patrol dewback for for a tauntaun, and you know, as cool as the tauntaun is, the patrol dewback was awesome, man. It was, but you didn't have a sand trooper. You'd have to jam a stormtrooper in there. It always looked (laughs) off. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. I had another note here, and now I can't remember what it was. Let me see. Oh, you know what pissed me off about this one is finally Uh we got Chewie back, and he doesn't have a single line. (laughs) No rock or nothing, Nothing. It's like nothing at all. Oh, I know what the other note was. All right. Page 7, panel 3. I appreciate what, what Infantino is trying to do here. But that perspective shot does not work at all. It looks like the Lars homestead is like an igloo for pygmies yeah, or something. Yeah. It just it's it just doesn't work. It looks like the miniature golf version of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yes, man, man, that's an idea. Wouldn't that Ooh, be a great? Star Wars miniature <laughs> golf. Awesome. Oh my god. Oh, the that Dino, is, uh, or the, uh, the Dagobah. All right, let's yeah, let's get some factor. startup money for that one. Oh my God, I'm in. Now, I'm in. Now you're you're out on the West Coast, so I, I don't. Have you ever been to uh, to Disney World? Uh, yes, I've been to to both uh, Disneyland and Disney World. 
Well, you know, if you drive around outside property at Disney World, there's like a miniature golf place like every two seconds as you drive around like the main drag. How is there not a Star Wars-based miniature golf place? (laughs) They've got everything. They've got pirates and everything else. How is that never been marketed? That's I guess they they just might be afraid of, of, you know, getting a cease and desist. Oh yeah, that's, no, could, but I mean, I mean, you know, officially licensed. You could, would you be could, be yeah, awesome. you could try, probably try to apply for some sort of licensing to it. I mean, or that would be awesome. And then a, the uh, the gl- golf clubs could be, you know, light up lightsabers, man. Oh God, dude, we're talking yeah, millions yeah, yeah. here. I'm loving this idea. I want to open a <laughs> open a, a whole chain of them across the the country now. And so it's, yeah, and it's, it's all nice. and and it's and. There's when you get food from the concession stand, you've got roller skating Princess Leia's and tattooing slave girl garb. Well, I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself there. There you go. <laughs> and and, and I'll right, be the guy in charge of hiring the Princess Leia's. <laughs> All right, panel five on that same page. <laughs> Yeah. Infantino's doing the same thing again with the gun. That that's not how you hold a gun. You see what I'm talking about? That that's how you hold a gun if you're like gonna shoot your foot. Right. Right. You know, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't work for the way he's holding I mean, the the very next uh panels on page ten, he's holding it like like a regular human being would hold a gun, you know? That's how it sits in your hand. But that one, he does this, this other he does thing. This, this other he does stuff like this weird. all the time. He does stuff like, he, he does strange stuff like that. And in the next issue, there's like a scene of Luke working on the lightsaber, where, or on a lightsaber, on the land speeder. And he's just got his fist. Like he's holding like a screw, like a screwdriver. It's a wrench. It, it's an actual, it looks just like a regular wrench. And, uh, but the way he's holding it is just completely unnatural how you would hold it if you were working it. But it was just, I guess, how he chose to. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're moving on to Star Wars issue 32. It's the same team as the last one. Uh, Infantino Wycheck on the cover and, uh, and uh, inside. 40 cents. As usual, but now we're into the year 1980, and this uh, this story is the Jawa Express. The Jawa Express. Luke, Han, and Chewie <laughs> and the droids—they're they're stranded in the Dune Sea. Of course, it's the Dune Sea, not another random sea in Tatooine, but the a familiar Dune Sea with their uh, messed up land speeder. Uh, Chewie sniffs out an Imperial patrol that's uh, catching up to them, and. Uh, on 3PO's suggestion, they drain the droids' coolants and shut them down and use that coolant to get the land speeder running. So they head back to Luke's ship, but uh, when they get there, there's a sand crawler next to it swarmed with Jawas who are just disassembling it. So uh, Han talks Luke out of attacking the Jawas, so instead what they do is they trade the land speeder and the droids for a ride to Mos Eisley with the plan of buying back the droids with Han's reward money that he weaseled out of Jabba in the last Jabba the H-U-T in the last <laughs> issue. Um, 
So the Jawas say, okay, uh, yeah, we'll take you to Mos Eisley. The trouble is uh, they're on a scavenging run for three months before they actually end up in Mos Eisley. And I imagine it costs a lot of money to, you know, turn around a land speeder and alter or a land speeder, sand crawler, and alter its its course. So uh, Han and Chewie, uh, you know, notice the uh, the you know the the Imperials are catching up to the sand crawler, and so they uh, climb up on the roof and uh, blast the ridge that the troopers are standing on, and it pretty much wipes out the patrol, but it blocks their path. So, uh, now they're going to have to cut through Sand People territory in the, the Junlin Wastes. So, uh, they, they approach what appears can, to be, what's what? Can I, can I stop you for just a second? I, I, I hate to, I, I hate to, uh, tangent I just yeah. got to know, because it, it hit me as I was reading this issue again. Yeah. That panel on page 10, like where, when Han and Chewie are shooting the ridge out from under those troopers and the shot of the three troopers, like, falling. Yay! Do yeah. you feel differently about the troopers in these issues now, reading these, since we're, we're, we're coming to really know them as people in yeah. Clone Wars? Does it change how you feel about stormtroopers? I sort of picture the stormtroopers as 20 years after the clone troopers and they're dumbed down. I, I picture the stormtroopers as more recruits. You know, they got the same. They, I don't think. They, yeah, they don't seem to be trained. They don't seem to be the elite trained force. They just sort of, they just sort of re- retained the elements of the uniform. But they seem to be more just. Yeah, they, they, they yeah, they're, they're, they're various people of various skills, and maybe a lot of them were drafted into the empire. Right. You know, but they, they don't have that. But yeah, you know, you, you, you just naturally do that because you're used to, you know, especially now watching the Clone Wars all the time, you're used to seeing people in stormtrooper outfits, you know, as the good guys. Right. Getting into Star Destroyers and flying around. So so anyway, they go into the Junlin Waste and they approach what appears to be a giant moisture evaporator with a sand crawler standing next to it. And the Jawas want to scavenge it, so they go over and check it out. But before they can do anything, Luke feels the thing starting to get cold and, you know, tells everybody to run off, which they do. And then there's this blinding flash and the desert plain is, like, covered with ice and the sand crawler that was next to the, the, um, apparent moisture evaporator just shatters from being cold. And then Tag and his brother arrive, and the weapon is called the Omega Frost. And they're testing it <laughs> in the hot, arid climbs of tattooing because they figure if it works in this hot, you know, desert hellhole, it'll it'll work in, you know, this is the worst possible climate for it to work in. So if it can freeze the desert to ice, then... You know, it's gonna if it can anywhere. make it there, it can make it anywhere. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, so now they've spotted Luke and Han, and they start shooting at him, and uh, they're sort of trying to herd him into a trap. And because uh, Tagwan Skywalker alive, so you know he can curry favor with the Emperor. So Luke senses it; it's a trap, and gets the Jawas to use their sand crawler <laughs> to ram Tag's troop transport 
and uh, then head to Moss Eisley. So Tag calls in more troop carriers to attack, but they, uh, but you know Han and Chewie and the the guys, they throw some Skyhopper fuel drums out of the Sandcrawler, and uh, Luke shoots them, and they, you know, they go off like landmines and explode in a chain reaction, you know, halting and destroying all the troop carriers. So the Jawas get to the droids. But, so the Jawas have set up the droids and uh, the land speeder with Kulin and pretty much send our heroes off with, with the you know, with what they came with um, to Moss Eisley to try to warm the rebellion of Tag's horrifying weapon. The Omega Frost! Dun dun dun! So... Yeah, which I think it's pretty funny. The Jawas are just like, "All right, get the hell out of here." Yeah, yeah, you can have your <laughs> droids. Here's some coolant. Just, get, just get, fucking leave us alone. <laughs> now, uh, I had a couple. I had a couple of notes already written down for this issue, but right off the bat, I got a couple of fresh notes. One of them is I caught a major mistake, and I can't believe I didn't catch it before. As soon as you started reviewing this issue and you said that this was the uh, – that we're now into 1980, I was like, what? What the hell are you talking about? Now, according to the indicia of the issue I just reviewed, number 31, the cover says the month of January. It says J-A-N, January, and then inside it says it's 1979. February. So that's why I said it was January 1979. But your issue is actually February 1980. So my issue is actually in error. It is actually the January 1980 issue, not the January 1979 issue. But not my mistake, Marvel's mistake. So right, Marvel. Well, I'm happy because Chewie finally gets a good line. North? It's <laughs> a question. North! N-O-R-R-F. North. Oh, you're right. It is a question. It'd be like North. North. Yeah, exactly. He does have his head sort of tilted to the side like a dog. <laughs> you're right. North. Now I like. Uh, okay, this is a callback to what we did in the early, uh, the early, early issues of reviewing the uh, Marvel comic Star Wars. But on page 22, yeah. the part, the part of Chewbacca will now be. Prefer- I can't even do it with a straight voice. The part of Chewbacca will now be played by Ukla the Mock. <laughs> Tell me that that third panel doesn't look like Ukla from uh, from what the hell was that show? Um, Thundar, Thundar, Thundar the Barbarian. Yes, <laughs> doesn't he? He's going like, Rah! he's making the total like Rah! face. Like he's a- got some <laughs> weird forehead thing going on that's not very Chewbacca-like and sort of. The way he's colored gives him a sort of receding hairline sort of look too. He looks like he looks like that old crazy street he person. Looks like with Grumpy. A, like who? What was his dad's name? No, Itchy. Itchy. Itchy was his dad. Who the hell is Grumpy? He's one of the seven dwarfs. Itchy, yeah. his dad. He looks like his dad with the with the little like lighter colored hair yeah, and the darker colored just, hair. Maybe he's just in the right light, and we're seeing. Yeah. Well, this maybe. Is, Maybe Chewie uses like that 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 gray. What is that stuff? The Selson? No, not Selson. What do you call that? Selson Damn it! Blue. Yeah, no, yeah, not uh, Selson. Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're talking like gray about. Gray out. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Damn yeah. it! I up my own joke, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm now it's on the tip of my tongue. 
Oh, I can see the stupid... Something gray. No more gray. Is that it? No, no. It's... I can see the guy with his newscaster hair, too, on the... On the... <laughs> Somebody... Something for men. Something gray for men. I can't remember what it's called. No more gray for men or some shit like that. I can't remember what the hell you call it. Grecian Formula 13. Or yeah, it's like Grecian Formula. There you go. Oh, look at the look. Look at the look on Han's face in the last panel of page twenty-two. He's looking at Luke like, yeah, he's he almost looks like he's looking at like a lustful look, like he's like he's lusting at the back of his neck or something. Well, he's it's looking like creepy. Kurt Russell there for some reason. <laughs> well, you know, Kurt Russell almost, almost played got Hans. the part. Yeah, yeah, Carmine Infantino does sort of give Han Solo a Kurt Russell sort of. Maybe it's a jutting chin. He 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 does like to have. Characters with, with oh, yeah. chins poking out and, and shark mouths. Luke really must be getting good at the force by this point because on page twenty six, when he shoots those barrels, his fucking eyes are closed. Oh, they sure are. Fatum, fatum, fatum. He's remembered. He's remembered to let go. All right, going all the way back to the splash on the first page, and then for for actually quite a number of pages after that, does the sand not look more like like mud? Doesn't it look like they're crashed in the mud, like yeah. in the swamp, rather than yeah. in like the desert? That's always bugged me. Even since I was a kid, that that panel bugged me. It's a beautiful panel, maybe, but it really a big it pile does... of like bantha dung or something. <laughs> and Luke has a as a really. Um, I mean, you know, with the prequel tri- trilogy now behind us and all that sort of thing, Luke has kind of an ironic line of dialogue. I thought on page six, he says, uh, you know, because Han wants him to to give the the droids over to the Jawas as payment for a ride, and Luke says, three uh, PO and R two aren't just robots to me; they're friends. I'd I'd feel like a slaver, and considering that his dad was yeah. a slave, I just I find that very ironic. But also, but- I, I like. Luke calling them robots because, you know, that's a callback to, to the first Star Wars. There actually was one time where uh, Luke actually did refer to them as robots. And I think it's the only time in Star Wars you ever hear them referred to as robots. Yeah, the rest of the time, they're always droids. Well, I've also noticed Luke got a haircut recently because his hair <laughs> was getting really long. It was get especially like on the covers where he'd be up in the corner. He was getting, you know... Conan the Barbarian hair and, mm-hmm. and now he's got a nice little short haircut so he must have gone to the space barber at some point I almost wonder if maybe they got like maybe they got um, reader complaint and not complaints but maybe well maybe complaints I don't know but because you know, you're right he had the longer hair but also there were several issues where he was starting to get the, the superhero thing going on he was getting really buff and all right, that, right, right. And I noticed in this one, he's drawn much more farm you know, boy. I, yeah, he's he's much you know several panels. It's really striking the difference in body style between him and Han. Han is drawn much older looking, much taller, and much broader, whereas Luke is more you know the the skinny scrawny farm boy. And I like that. You know, it, it, I think that's closer to. To reality, you know, of, of how the how they look, because it's they're still not drawn to look like 
Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, but at least the body styles are starting to come more in line with with those actors that portray them. That's about all I got for this one, really. I I, I enjoyed this storyline, though. I, I'm I'm playing. I'm pleasantly surprised to find that I think this particular storyline still holds up pretty good. You know, well, even with the goofy Mega Frost and all that, I still think it's a lot of well, fun. Well, I like this issue at least because it's not as much of a greatest hits of tattooing, and it's more of just a story progressing. You know, right? So I I like that a little better in this one. I like the Omega Frost as it exists in this one because again you know my my memories are a little vague it's been a long time since i've i've read these issues but if i remember properly what comes along with the omega frost really does start to push the boundaries of credibility and all that and and it does really start to edge into silly territory but at this point in time i still really like it i think it's a cool concept here's one thing i wonder about is when the omega frost goes off why is there so much why does the sand turn to ice Shouldn't it just be really cold sand? Because there's not, you know, I mean, they get the evaporators just like pulling every little piece of water out of the air. You're, so it's a very arid. So it, 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 you know, it would freeze the sand crawler, but it, but it would just sort of collapse. It wouldn't be like coated with ice. I guess maybe that's just artistic license. Or, I was just gonna say, yeah, I think that's probably to to. To definitely illustrate, you know, yeah. for the kitties exactly it's, it's, what's it's Mr. going Free- on. It's like Mister Freeze style, even right. with, with him with his winter jacket on too. It's very Mister Freeze. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I meant to comment on that. That I, I like, um, you know, the the Baron's actually got like a he he's got what almost looks, you know, if it wasn't for the pointy hat thing to where he almost looks like Santa Claus in a yeah. blue hoodie type of thing he would actually look a lot like uh you know the the outfit that han wears on hoth you know han has the the blue parka with the with with the the fur thing around it when they're when they're on hoth but yeah that that second panel on page 19 he actually has the the pointy head thing like a like santa one of santa's elves yeah exactly (laughs) well i think we need to wrap up for this one yeah I apologize that we went long, but we were totally geeking out over over our guest. I hope you had a good time. Did you enjoy no, yourself? Absolutely, guys. No, thank you so much for having me on. We definitely want to have you back in future. Um, Anytime. Whenever, whenever it's convenient for it. If, if nothing else, definitely for, uh, for when, um, um, when Storm over Ryloth yeah. comes around. But, I mean, that's... Great. That's episode nineteen. We're just at ten now, so that's like nine months away. We want to we want to have <laughs> you again, you know, well before nine months from now. So, anytime, guys, anytime. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'll keep in touch with you, and uh, and we'll get something worked out for the for future to have yeah. you on. Yeah, thanks for coming. No, thank you both, guys. I really appreciate the chance to you know talk to your listeners and to nerd out with you guys. Anything uh, anything else you want to plug or promote or anything? Are we going to see some more episodes this season from you? Oh, that's it for this season for me. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think that, yeah, I got I got a few things in development, but probably nothing that you'll see in the in the near future. But as soon as something is uh, is about to break, I'll definitely let you guys know. Sweet. 
All right. Uh, that that works well, for me that you'll be able to hear see, it here first. He's, he's a true <laughs> artist of substance. He's, he's on a show with nothing to promote. <laughs> he's just here for his love of Star Wars. I love it. Exactly. I'm just here to screw up your show and talk about Galactus and Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Right on. Well, cool. Thank George. you again, guys, for having me on. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. Most powerful is he who confronts his own power. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, sorry. <laughs> okay. Is it okay to laugh? <laughs> yes, oh yeah. It happens sure. all the time. I don't all right. mind. <laughs>